Hello, everybody. Hi. Come on, let's look busy. What do you mean you can open it? Well, of course I can open it. It's just a question of how. How? Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? Well, roughly speaking, it dematerializes in one location and then rematerializes again in a new location. I think that sounds terribly interesting. The concept is simply staggering. Pointless, but staggering. Affirmative. Arrival imminent. Right. Now, hold on very tight. Here comes the drums! Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, the ongoing quest to explore every single televised story of the show known as Doctor Who in completely random order. My name's Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and our mateys, Chris and I, are a couple of swabbies going up and down the canon of Doctor Who, plundering it for all the commentary we can find. Oh, it's so <laughs> such a such a perilous journey we're on here. And something has happened to Pete's voice box. We apologize for that, <laughs> listeners. Uh, there's 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 some sort of appears to be some sort of error on the mic. Not sure about that, but uh, uh, I'm just going to fill in by saying exactly where we've been. No, it's it's true. We have been on a bit of a pirate kick. We a little were, bit. We were many moons ago at the Smugglers. It's not within uh, recent memory, but maybe what was that? Five stories ago, we were at the, uh, the bit ago pirate something like that. Smugglers, a fortnight somewhere in that realm, <laughs> somewhere in the five to nine range. <laughs> What's a fortnight three... again? <laughs> <laughs> two two episodes of Pull to Open. Uh, okay, but three stories ago, uh, we finally tackled the war games. Uh, which was such a big thing to tackle. We had to take two breaks for some side quests uh, to talk about the Time Lords and rage-quitting Doctor Who. Two stories ago, we went to Marco Polo, that Hmm. William Hartnell historical, the first pure, full historical uh, in the show's history. And then last time... Something happened that we were going to take a little bit of time to discuss. But in theory, what happened last time is that we went to the first historical of the new series, The Unquiet Dead with Charles Dickens, and remarked on how wonderfully fitting it was that we'd gone from first historical of the old show, first historical of the new show. Uh, and, and then, and you know, we found all of these marvelous connections. And then the randomizer took us to... The Pirate Planet, Season 16, Serial 2 of the classic show. It's a Tom Baker joint. It's a Douglas Adams story. It's got so much to recommend it. We thought the randomizer was just uh, excited about Douglas Adams, uh, which it may well be. But there seems to have been another reason for the randomizer taking it. The randomizer really, really likes pirates more so than we thought uh and uh Pete, uh we, we've got something see here on pull to open we we sometimes commit errors we know this uh it was it was my error that led to the original spreadsheet not including destiny of the daleks uh mm. which we we had to course correct in the middle of our flight seems entirely appropriate for a show about a guy who doesn't know what he's doing with his machine and has to keep hitting it with a hammer uh, or a spanner, um, and uh, yeah, so so something uh, the, the the fault 
locator light is lighting up. The fault indicator <laughs> lights on Bolter Open Console lit up this week. Uh, Pete, could you could you read that fault indicator? You know, before I'm forced to walk the plank on this one, uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody listening and perhaps uh-huh. encourage them that, hey, the commentary for the Pirate Planet actually begins later in the show, and you can go to the show notes right now and fast forward to the commentary on the Pirate Planet, which begins, of course, with our segment TLDW every week, where we summarize the plot of the story in record time. So if you're just here for that, go ahead right now. Go ahead and fast <laughs> yeah. forward to that. Nothing and it's also see, on yeah. YouTube. It's in the, the notes underneath the video. Just scroll down. You'll see it there. You'll see the time code, the exact time code. So if you're just here for that, uh, go ahead. Go ahead and do that. <laughs> Mr. Fibbly. Mr. Fibbly. Now, yes, you're right. There's nothing to see here. The The forthcoming investigation will not at all be interesting to any pull to open listeners. I highly recommend that you skip forward. Um, However, Pete, uh, Mr. Fibuli, do tell us okay. what happened here. Well, uh, my confession begins <laughs> with spreadsheets can get confusing. And if you've looked at the codex, also in the show notes, everybody, so go ahead and check it out. There are two numbers at the beginning of every, beginning of every row. So we have the story number. So we have every single episode, every single story of Doctor Who numbered. And there, by our count, there are 302, which might be a little different from other official or non-official lists. Uh, This is how we uh, see the canon of Doctor Who. And we did a whole episode on why we did it. It's called Decoding the Codex. We did it earlier this year. Go check that out if uh, you want to hear about what decisions we made and what's a complete story and what isn't. Um, But there's another column that's right beside the story number. And that is the randomizer number. And... I'm actually quite proud of that column because I had to work Mm. some Google Sheets voodoo to make sure every time we do a story, it gets taken out of the count. So this is a count of the stories that Pull to Open has yet to do for the podcast. And it goes down by one every week. And that is the number we use, or rather we are supposed to use (laughs) for (laughs) our randomizer uh selections so before we had this number just to bring listeners up to date we used to bounce off episodes we bounce off stories right when they were selected twice they were time locked we had to go again so uh yeah to your your credit this this number has actually helped reduce the length of the podcast and and the (laughs) amount of times we bounce off time locked stories um but (laughs) <laughs> but it's, this, it is essential to read the correct number. Yeah. So this one time, I think it was one time. Oh my God. It'd be a scandal if there were more. Oh, uh, my. Uh, but anyway, we uh, got a number and it was, uh, I think it was 162. And when we got it, I inadvertently looked at the story number and not the randomizer number. So where we went to the unquiet dead, where the randomizer was actually trying to take us to was in fact, the curse of the black spot. Dun, dun, dun. Which as, as listeners probably know is also a pirate story. (laughs) (laughs) You would never tell from the title. It's really, uh, you know, uh, subtle about that yes the curse of the black spot we are cursed now Mm. by 
having to uh, by by disrespecting the randomizer's wishes. This is what we've done, um, and and it is funny that we still saw a lot of connections in the Unquiet mm. Dead. Uh, so it, you know, I hope that the randomizer will forgive us. I think we got a great show out of it. I think there were some great connections with Marco Polo. However, yeah, the randomizer really wanted pirates, and it also like we. We the reason it sent us that well one of the one of the things that we were asking for was uh, to go. I wanted to stay in the historical realm. Pete wanted mm-hmm. to go to the future. You know, we thought it had split the difference with the Unquiet Dead. It actually split the difference with Curse of the Black Spot, right? Which is set <laughs> right. in what the 17th century. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of yeah. roughly the same as the Smugglers because yes. they make reference to the the same pirate captain. So, yeah, so we would have had, I mean, we're really stepping on the randomizer's game here is what we're doing here. The randomizer had <laughs> a plan for us. Uh, we, we disrespected the plan. I, I do feel that we are now cursed. Uh, there, there must be some recompense. Um, I think we're going to be forced to do back-to-back podcasts <laughs> and, and as strange skeletal forms that only look in truly zombie-like in the moonlight until we get to Curse of the Black Spot, until it comes up again. Yes, so. and hopefully that will be soon, and we can work off our karmic debt. Um, I mean, I'm still glad we went to the Unquiet Dead rather than Curse of the Black Spot. I have no regrets in that mm-hmm. sense, but yes, I think that maybe... Uh, yours or both of our requests of the randomizer will now be treated as cursed. Uh, and uh, we should therefore ask for the opposite of what we want. Yeah. Well, maybe it, it usually does the opposite, though. So I feel like <laughs> no. now it'll, it'll be very on the nose. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway. You know, this is a very Douglas Adams-like situation. I, I'm sure that uh, the late great DNA would, would be, if he's up there listening to podcasts, uh, as uh, first of all, he'd be very upset to find himself uh, in in any sort of life after death. Uh, but secondly, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure he'd be very amused by this uh, this turn of events. So it's entirely appropriate <laughs> that we're here at the pirate planet, another sort of pirate story uh, that that isn't really. But yeah, yeah, the, well, the randomizer intended a whole pirate kind of almost a pirate bingo for us, right? Yeah, I mean, after that, it would only be like space pirates, right? And yeah. I, maybe there's one other I'm not thinking of, but we're getting close to that bingo card. Maybe we'll get another swing out at the end of the show. But I will say, Doug, <laughs> Doug, may I call you Doug? If you are in heaven, <laughs> listening to Pull to Open on your on your divine podcast app, I just love to ask: Could you please leave a review? Because you know what, listener, and by extension, other listeners who are also listening, reviews, they are a great way to support the show. They really, really do help if you enjoy Pull to Open uh, and you may be listening on the Apple Podcast app, especially. Go ahead, leave a review. They really help, especially if they're, say, five-star reviews, uh, which will make the show more visible to more listeners eager for the great discussion that we have every week on Doctor Who. The only way... To better help the show, I would say, is by sharing the podcast with a friend. So again, Doug, whoever is there up there with you, maybe maybe you're hanging out with the big guy every now and then. Maybe you do a regular yeah. lunch. Go ahead. <laughs> share the podcast with him. Maybe he'd like it. Uh, and then he could share with all of his yeah, uh, he he did followers. like the Greek gods, you know. There was, uh, you know, uh, and and the the Norse gods. I believe Thor was a character in uh, Hitchhiker's books at one point. So yeah, maybe he's in a more sort of a Ragnarok, uh, you know, Valhalla kind of situation. 
Nice. Um, yeah, so please do share the podcast with a friend, but also interact with the show on Spotify. If you're on Spotify like I am, uh, rate it like I have on your mobile app, but also vote. Vote on what you, what rating you would give to the show, in this case, the Pirate Planet. Uh, you can vote at the end of the show. Uh, you can the, the vote remains open uh, mm-hmm. constantly. So even if you're listening to Spotify years later, uh, you can still add your voice. We're, we're very democratic across time as a uh, time travel based podcast should be. Yeah, we don't we don't mention that enough. We actually leave our polls open. And if you are just finding this, you know, far in the future, go ahead. You, you think you missed the boat. You didn't miss the boat. It's still open. Keep voting. Uh, the world can change its opinion on things. I don't think the war games, for example, was held in as such high esteem as it is today. True. Um, and is, of course, a Viscount Banger by our rating, which is the best of the best. Full explanation of all our ratings at the end of the show. If you're not sure what they are, but yeah, go ahead. Have your say. You can even have it right now. Don't even wait for us to start talking about it. Go ahead. Bam. Rate your thing. Don't let us taint your vote. Uh, and uh, But also, you know, if you want to wait for us, that's fine. Uh, you can do that, too. Uh, and we'll uh, report on the results that we get. And we have some results to talk about. And those are from Marco Polo, the seven-part first historical from season one of Doctor Who. We took it on. Uh, we, quote-unquote, watched it, or I did anyway, a telesnap <laughs> version of it because it is no longer available, and sadly it is missing. Yes. Uh, I rated it a Dalek, Chris, used the very rarely used fixed point in time uh, which I have never used yet by the way yeah. uh, to, to this to this date you've done it yeah. twice now I believe you're keeping we... your powder dry and I, I felt that this warranted a fixed point in time is a very controversial call I just felt that because it was so, the show was so new uh, and was was uh, trying a bunch of things I didn't think it was that great um, but also like I respect it and uh, I also just read the script, which is, you know, a fair point that Pete made that I, I did just read the script. I didn't see the gorgeous full color telesnaps, although I have seen the photos. Uh, I just thought it, it, it that was that was my feeling. It warranted a fixed point in time. Hmm. Um, but it does well, seem that the uh, the people out there agree with me, Pete. Yes. It, uh, on this this time, you win. <laughs> Taylor. Yes, you, Taylor. Yes. A full half of the people who voted. 50% called it a fixed point in time, which is the biggest rating. So that's mm. off to you for yeah. tapping into something that uh, apparently the fans uh, agree with. Now, that said, the Dalek, which is what I gave it, I think it's a very good episode of Doctor Who, was a close second with about yes. 40%. Yeah. Um, but 10% of the folks out there also said it was a Professor Hater, which again isn't as harsh as an Ogron, yeah. but it does, it's sort of saying, like, well, this isn't that great, but. You know, at least they tried something. They, they certainly tried something. Tried something yeah, with Marco Polo. Something. We learned yeah. a lot in Marco Polo, like condensation. Science behind it. Totally. So if you have not yet voted on Marco Polo, you can do that. Because like you just said, that poll is still open. And uh, we would love to hear more and more. And if any of these ratings yeah. cha- change considerably over the weeks and months uh we'll revisit them yeah yeah Happy people would love it right now if you went to the marco polo episode right now and uh rated a dalek <laughs> just, just to bring those numbers up it's not without you know not beyond the bounds of reason that you might be able to swing the vote in his favor 
Come on, Daleks. It's ancient China. You want to invade it, don't you? Come on. You can conquer that, I no problem. I still love the idea of like an ancient China, ancient Chinese Dalek with just the wonderful sort of golden wooden look that you could get one of those. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, RTD course. I love uh, those retro Dalek Cyberman ideas that like right. the internet's full of them. We need we need more in the show, please. Yes, please. Hmm. And we need more on YouTube, which is also where we are, and it's also a great place to fool me and fox me with with the emoji titles for when we play the Humoji game. Uh, and you can see what we've got going on in the background. You can see my Tom Baker scarf that I always wear for Baker episodes. Um and pull to open sign the TARDIS. Pete, you've got a TARDIS, you've got a you've got a Dalek going on. We got Ooh, all, yeah. Well classic Dalek sorts. right there. Love it. Love it. All sorts going on in the background. So check us out on YouTube. Uh another good way to interact with the show and a good place to leave us comments. Hmm. We have a YouTube comment of the week. Yeah. And it's from uh, a friend of the pod named Ethan, Ethan Melton. And Ethan was commenting on one of our, doc, uh, sorry, our Marco Polo videos. Marco Polo, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was responding to a comment that I think I made about how, even though it's a four-person TARDIS team, it doesn't feel crowded the way mm-hmm. um, later TARDIS teams, Jody's, and sometimes Davison's felt with right. uh, sidelining folks and. Um, maybe some unsatisfying stories or less satisfying stories because they just had too much too much dialogue to distribute and too many mm-hmm. storylines to have. Uh, and Ethan made this, I thought, very uh, on-the-nose observation, which is one reason why I think this four-man TARDIS team felt less stuff than, say, Davison's or Whitaker's is that over time, the roles in the show were consolidated. By the time Pertwee showed up, Ian's role as action man of the group became redundant and as the female characters became more educated and independent barbara and susan's roles were merged together um and this is this is kind of dead on i think like yes at the beginning of the show it was a different thing they also had to accommodate uh william william hartnell's age his condition like he just you know could not really be an action man although they tried a couple times and we made that observation in the romans yes where he actually manages to fight off yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. the thug uh but it's true like as as the doctor got older and slash younger he became became a more capable action star on his own (laughs) um he could kind of do both things and it's funny like we're about to talk about the pirate planet and there's a particular sort of flavor of action that yeah is is what we'll get into it but that that is not necessarily a thing that's looks good on the doctor um so stay tuned for the commentary before for that i there's my there's my tease uh it involves guns but uh but yeah the the barbers and susan's role that kind of makes it makes sense because barbara is kind of there and i i I don't know we'd have to inventory after we do more of them but i'd wager that barbara probably is more sidelined than other other people in that other pe- mm. people in the TARDIS team of the era, well, just because she certainly was in, in the shows that we visited, yeah. like in, in uh, the Sensorites, she's sidelined and she's yeah, kind of sidelined in Marco Polo too, and she has a little more to do in uh, Planet of the Giants. Mm. Um, but again, like I think that idea is like, oh, you have sort of this more learned, older woman who can provide knowledge or wisdom versus sort of the young spunky i guess get into trouble 
I guess it is, yeah, because Susan was like, you know, I'm always going out and spraining my <laughs> ankle or just yeah. getting involved where I shouldn't be. Um, you sort of combine those things. And, yeah, and, and being, yeah, as you we get discovered Sarah, Sarah Jane, in Marco Polo, just, just a terrible liar. Uh, yeah. about about Venus or about coming from Earth or it not being Earth or naming the TARDIS, uh, you know, suddenly becomes suspect when you consider it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Susan's kind of a weird character. It was hard to replicate um, because she isn't. But yeah, you know, it, it, it feels, I think because Susan is sort of almost an avatar of the Doctor in that she knows all this stuff, right? She knows pretty much as much as he does about the mysterious origins, still mysterious origins then of the TARDIS and, and has been on journeys with them, that it's less of a fish-out-of-water three-companion situation. Yeah. Um, whereas all the others are, uh, hmm. with with slight tweaks, right? You know, uh, Adric is a bit more Zoe-esque in his intelligence. Uh, like, So he's a little more in the Susan role. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It does... Well- merit further discussion i think yeah well i think that the whitaker situation is i think the ultimate sort of flipping of the idea right which is that if you look at the beginning okay each each person here is sort of a clear role narratively in how we're going to structure the stories themselves and that's sort of built into that so it's not just like four people with interesting backstories and storylines because they didn't really do a ton of that in 60s TV generally. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. like, here's how what we're doing week to week and here's what they have. Whereas, the again, flipping that around on uh, Whitaker, like, I think that that might be one of the things that ails that era is that they don't really have clear narrative goals for each of these characters. Sure, they're all good actors. Sure, they all have backstory that we can mine but I think you also need to have some plan of like, okay, like just because we're doing these good sci-fi adventures week to week, like what is their sort of default role? And I think it's okay to do that. Maybe it doesn't have to be a formula, but if you get people used to like, oh, this person fulfills the action person role or this person fulfills um, the the exposition role, um, you, you that actually create even though it, make, it it can get formulaic, but it also creates opportunities to to bust the formula. You know, yeah. you you get people used to it, and then you have people sort of role reverse. They did this all the time in Star Trek: The Next Generation, where um, you'd have you know Data had a very clear role of uh, being kind of Spock, but also having exposition. And when they removed him from certain situations, and other people had to sort of fill in that role, that actually led to some of the more interesting episodes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, but with the Whitaker team, you you really it isn't clear what roles they fill. They're basically they're three fish out of water. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't. And, One's and enough. It's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chibnall really. I mean, RTD was always so good at this, right? The the instant drawing of a character, and you can tell what role they fill. But then you know you sort of backfill the character, right? So you've got the handle now. Now add to it, and 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 Chibnall seems to have come at at it from the opposite perspective of like you know let's sort of give you the character's background first and then we'll sort of figure out who they are and you can see this sort of uh well beyond that figure out what to do with them you know like it was just a little too much left blank on that canvas you know when he was uh planning things out the team Um, structure was too flat ah there it is yes yes 
All right. All right. Well, thank you for the comment, Ethan. Uh, please uh, also go to YouTube and like and comment and hit that bell icon for notifications uh, so you know when we posted something new on YouTube. Uh, and then there's a place where we're even bigger than YouTube. We place that sort of uh, appears, uh, materializes around YouTube and absorbs it uh, and <laughs> mines it for shorter videos called TikTok. Almost oh, wow. Happened. You made it sound like some kind of space creature that's hey. a parasite that's <laughs> crushing the worlds around it and yes. turning them into something else. Yes. Again, you, save that YouTube for the- is normal and, and TikTok is uh, against the natural order of things. Uh, <laughs> it came along when I was older. So there we go. Yeah, In my day, episodes. people sat back and watched 10-minute videos That's and now they're right. doing the minute-long ones. Uh. Yeah, kids these days with their minute-long for you videos. Non-stop jump cuts. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we're part of that now. <laughs> we fully accepted it, and uh, we love it. <laughs> go ahead In and short, follow we us. Love TikTok. Yeah, we love TikTok. We're at Pull to Open. We got uh, like eleven thousand followers there now, and we will never stop cutting short videos for you guys because uh, we like it. I like I like throwing those together, uh, and it's, yeah. uh, it's a good time to see the comments. Them. You guys, you guys also have great comments on TikTok, so uh, keep them coming. And also keep it coming on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where we have pulled to open 63 and uh, drop us a line there. Drop us an emoji uh, story title there. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll pick up with that next time, I guess, uh, because we got to reload. So- Guys, hey, no, no, no. We'll pick up on it if you, the fans, deliver. We need more emoji titles, guys. We need Doctor mm. Who story titles in the form of emoji. Leave them on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, pull to open 63, or even better, hey, leave a review that's just an emoji title. That would yeah. be amazing. Go ahead and do that. Uh, if, if there's a way to sort of have an instant uh, look at the numbers on the codex, see how many t- how many story titles have been unemojied, uh, how many are still up for grabs for you to put in emoji mm, form. Many many i would say <laughs> certainly in the higher double digit percentage points you're looking you're looking at like 80 percent of the titles have not been emojified so lots of opportunity there for some easy ones some hard ones some brain teasers and i just love 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 torturing chris every week guys let's just do it let's get it going and i know that's yes. kind of a formula maybe someday we'll reverse it huh maybe. maybe we'll play with that formula maybe i'll be on the opposite end of the humoji challenge it can only happen if we get more of these titles come Bring on dudes on. Let's do it. Bring them on. Let's let's get to 302 emoji titles together as a community. <laughs> uh, but thank there you for being part of the pull to open community. And and uh, we don't really have a whole lot to talk about on the Doctor Who news front. So I think it is time. That we is it time? Right it's time. It's time for time. It's time for the key to time. <laughs> hey. Second part of the key to time, which is what we're looking at here. Second and segment. It's the second segment, segment of the key to time. Segment not a, not a segment story. of time, though. A segment of the key to time. Because yeah. segments of time, that's back in the arc, I believe. Oh, God. All right. We're, we're, get, we're going down a very esoteric rabbit hole here as Pete attempts to procrastinate on TLDW. Oh, too you know long, my tricks. <laughs> too long to watch. Know each other so well. 
<laughs> too long Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, and in the case of the classic series, we allocate 30 seconds uh, for, for the summary of the story, which will be summarized this week by one Pete Paschal. And you have, sir, you have four minutes. Fl- uh, four minutes? No, no. no. What are you, you talking don't. about? Oh, actually, hold four. on. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. You said it. <laughs> you said four minutes. Yeah, you did for have four all minutes. Eight then... episodes of the Pirate Planet. You saw <laughs> all eight, right, Chris? <laughs> Unfortunately, we're we're giving you a two minute penalty for the uh, issue with the Codex, so <sighs> you're bumped back down to two minutes. Sorry. Sorry about that. No, it oh, is 30 seconds. Per never going to live that down. Episode. No, after this after this episode, Paul Dorfman will never mention it again. Um, <laughs> we will, we'll simply have cursed and haunted looks in our eyes whenever we talk about pirates. Well, but you have to um, remove it from Google. That's the way to do it. You've got to give Google a DMCA notice or something. But <laughs> no one can ever see that result. Hey, if, if I'm listening to this uh, show next Sunday, uh, Saturday and there's all these weird jump cuts at the beginning when we're talking about pirates, <laughs> I don't know what's happened here. I don't know who's been at the edit. Uh, mm. Anyway, anyway, uh, long story short, <laughs> we're making a long story short. We're turning the pirate planet into a two-minute summary. Um, and uh, Pete's going to fly by without notes. I'm so glad that you're doing this one because it's Aren't kind you? of a, there's a lot going on. It's a Douglas Adams story. There is a lot of plot in this one. I, I'm going to have to be very selective because um, these go by quick. I, these, I, I don't like my chances on this one, but mm. I, I'm I'm so familiar with this one. I, I can blaze through something. <laughs> That's what All I'm right. confident I can do. <laughs> well, let's see if you can compress the pirate planet into a single tiny rock of massive mass. Um which would be entirely appropriate. Uh, but yes, the official pull to open summary of the pirate planet in two minutes starts in three, two, one, go. So the doctor and Ramon are looking for the second segment of the key to time. They realize it's going to be on this planet, Calufrax. They try to materialize, but it get jammed. They can't materialize because well, what's happening is there's this other planet. Basically, it's a hollow planet. It's called Xanak, and it was trying to materialize around Califrax at the same time. This isn't clear right at the outset. They don't discover this. They basically just try to materialize on Calufrax, and they materialize on Xanak. Well, because Calufrax is all icy, this is the doctor can tell immediately they're not on Calufrax, even though the coordinates are right, that they're on this planet where there's a village and there's a there's a tower and a mountain and so they go out and investigate and they find Xanak is this it, they're on Xanak and they're the, it's this planet that has jewels in the streets everyone's rich and every now and then they, it gets transported through space and the people are promised a new golden age when the stars change and it's promised by the captain this person who lives in the mountain that's uh, has a bridge on it and this is basically the command center of the entire planet and the captain's sort of like a pirate captain he's sort of a half cyborg guy and he has a uh, a robot right. parrot that can uh, destroy things so anyway the doctor and everyone befriend these this group called mentiads who are these sort of powerful psychics and telepaths and they don't really know why they have their powers but the doctor reveals that all the planets that have been destroyed are giving them their powers because all that psychic energy is getting released they team up with the doctor and Ramana to basically start a revolution against the captain who's actually being manipulated by this other woman, this queen Zanxia, who's actually super old and suspending the last few minutes of her life and time dams and using incredible power to keep those dams going. So the doctor realizes this is a no win situation. They can never get enough power to keep her alive. Uh, There's a lot of, 
back and forth and shenanigans. He basically uh, takes on the captain. The bed is forced to go back to the TARDIS because the, the Xanax is going to threaten Earth next and to go, go around Earth and mine it. So they use the TARDIS to jam Xanax again from going there. Everything explodes. They take out Queen Xanxia and then get Caliphrax uh, by throwing it into the time vortex and uh, picking it up as the key to time. <laughs> yes, it spins off and and uh, they pick it up in the future, I guess. Uh, I guess. Is, I mean, it's somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's the vortex. It's outside of space and time, I guess. Oh, it my God. I got the, in. I think wow. I got in about 40% of the plot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> versus, and I was talking nonstop. I think you, I think you basically got it. Uh, yeah. You know, um, some points to throw in there. I think the, the fact that the nurse, did you mention the nurse turning out to be the, the queen? No, I didn't uh, mention that yeah. whole part. I just mentioned the queen's actually manipulating him and, that she suspended yeah. in her last few seconds of life, but that I didn't mention how she how she was doing that if she's in this sort of stasis field. Yeah, that is a wonderful plot twist, um, mm. which comes right after another plot yeah. twist. Which of is many, a, yeah. Know, yeah. There's so the, much great story. Like one of the things yeah. that the pirate planet is famous for is the Doctor walking the plank at the end of uh, episode three. And then at the beginning of episode four, it's revealed that he made a hologram of himself walk the plank, which is just a wonderful moment. I did not mm. know how that was resolved. I have not seen this before. And then to immediately go from that to, oh, you know, expansion of something bigger, even bigger, you know, this nurse character has sort of been hanging around in the background, increasingly getting a few more lines. who totally looks just like an extra. I was fooled into thinking she was an extra. Turns out to be an avatar of, of the queen and the doctor cannot actually disappear uh, with the hologram generator slash yeah. generator. Well, that, that was such a good moment. Uh, for all the reasons you talk about like it's it's like oh it's it's a really clever way for the doctor to get out of that and then it's like oh this is actually the way the villain is you know furthering themselves but also it doesn't work like i lo- i really like that he's like i can just switch her off and he tries it mm-hmm. and it just she's like nope doesn't work anymore and it reminded me like well actually <laughs> this twist then echoes something in new who uh because i I always like it when you know the good guys have a plan it doesn't work and then they're forced to sort of think on their feet it's not like this is a a new thing but it is like i think there are standout moments where you really buy it and one of the better ones is here and one of the other better ones new is um in the christmas episode uh sorry the first one with clara um yeah the snowman the snowman, oh, oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, 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 it's that. It's that. It's the mm-hmm. snowman. And because the sort of twist at the end there is that the doctor can just wipe the memory of Simeon and therefore mm. he can stop the snow from reflecting him and the snow will just reset. But it doesn't work. The mm. snow has just been reflecting Simeon for so long that it's developed a mind of its own. And I like that. I like that it's like, oh, I have this master stroke that I'm going to win and just prove I'm better. And then it's just the bad guys are actually more clever than that. Um, so yeah, it's great. But I mean, taking a step back, I mean, it's just such a genius story and it's so creative. I mean, the, the creativity just flowing from Douglas Adams. I mean, you know, clearly I I think as we talked about with destiny, the Daleks, you mentioned, he just had the muse at this time in his life. Like, cause he was basically writing this at the same time he was finishing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And you can tell 
from so much of this. I mean, just just mm-hmm. one example, just the names of everything, like Bandragonus yes. Five and all the minerals that he has, and like it all just feels Douglas Adams. The stuff he's talking about, yeah. um, and so he's he's got whenever this. Whenever we're ready, I have a complete list of everything <laughs> well, that I could spot as a Douglas just, Adams fan. I just say is like. Like I'd sort of cap this comment by saying, mm-hmm. as you see all this creativity and everything sort of flowing and being realized in some form on screen, you almost think he's a writer from the future. Like yeah. he's a guy who has somehow benefited from all of the sort of nerddom taking over culture and all the quality era of television and all, because we've had a lot of good creative stuff since, particularly I would say in the last 10 years. Um, and it's almost like a, he's a guy from the 2020s yeah. who went back in time to the 70s and just suddenly we're, we're just like, holy cow, how did you think of this? This is brilliant. Yes, it does feel like a template for New Who. I think you're absolutely right there. It does feel like it, it you know, it almost like this inspired the show in, in more ways. But no, it's really just that Adams was, was ahead of his time. And the original script was way more complex. Like it really, mm. it involved a Time Lord, uh, you know, suspending their life or, you know, uh, wanting to spend their lives. There was going to be a misdirect where the, the Doctor got a bit of the key to time as a piece of rubbish at the beginning, but like uh, played Romana along Um with uh, the whole plot of the story because he wanted to investigate as if the key to time had not been found. Um, you know, it just, just dazzlingly inventive and way too much for one script. He apparently did a read of the synopsis to, uh, to Graham Williams. It was the, mm. the show's producer at the time. Williams response was now I know how Stanley Kubrick felt when he was, uh, handed the, the script for 2001, right? Like oh, nice, really good dazzlingly creative but how the hell are we going to film this right um and and it doesn't stop that there was so much stuff that was deleted from the script that feels like it should be a new who like he wanted to introduce a new tardis control room Mm. uh at the end uh, which would have been sort of a conservatory like thing looking out over quote manicured gardens um i would have loved that not just to see this amazing thing but it would solve what I think there aren't really that many issues with this, but some of them do stand out. And this, the one issue I'm about to cite is not nothing to do with this particular story itself, but it does. There is a lot played up at the end about how the TARDIS is essentially destroying itself uh, because it's trying to jam Zanak for the second time. And now the doctor's even taking down defenses and you kind of feel after all of that, they made such big high stakes out of that there should be some longer term consequence mm. to really pushing the TARDIS beyond its limits here and that would have been a really good one where it's like well we blew up the whole console room I've managed to sort of throw together the TARDIS so that it didn't it didn't completely destroy itself but now we have this new one you know and it's like oh so the, that would have been pretty good uh, so something else the way he was years ahead of his time he originally thought that the nurse character uh, would be revealed to be either the master's daughter or Ooh. decades before Missy, a female master. Wow. He had that wow. Idea. Yep. That's yep, insane. That's, I didn't right. know that part. That's like, if he, 
if he had done that, I know. Like, I don't think the world is ready for that. <laughs> right. He, he. I mean, this sort of puts the de- destiny of the Daleks in perspective, right? Where he comes in as uh. a brash new script editor, and he's like, "Oh, screw you, Terry Nation. You don't know what you're talking about." He's like controlling concepts of the show, and changing stuff on the fly, and like doing new Doctor Who uh, canon on the back of a napkin, which basically is what this would be, right? But mm. at the time, you know, Doctor Who was, was was not such. It was not so set, right? We'd had the secondary control room already, yeah. right? So the idea of a new control room wouldn't necessarily be that uh, wild. But yeah, I mean, it just shows that he's he's staggeringly inventive and just really, really cocky. <laughs> you yeah, know, knows what he can do, knows how intelligent he is, and has had this long time love of of Doctor Who. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he uh, did a story. I've mentioned this in Destiny of the Daleks. He did a story at school uh, on tape, like a book on tape of, of a Doctor Who adventure involving the Daleks. And he <laughs> submitted a script, a, a spec script to Doctor Who uh, called Doctor Who and the Cricket Men, uh, which was eventually be, u- be used um, in uh, Life, the Universe, and Everything, the third Hitchhiker's book. Right. Uh, which is sort of, again, you can see elements in it here. He's recycling a lot of stuff, the way that the totally. stars change. And there, there was actually in the original script a mention of the idea of other worlds being a forbidden concept. Right. That sounds like very much like what happens on cricket uh, for those who know. Yeah. It. And you kind of, that would have been yeah. great. Again, some of this stuff, I, I think it's not terrible that it was missing, but that just even things like that, like other worlds being forbidden, that paint the picture of Zanak a little more. Cause again, that's probably one of the thinner things about this. You get a little bit of sense of the history of their, that some war, they were in complete ruin. Um, there's probably a very sparsely populated planet now. And the captain just kind of came in and uh, sort of turned it into this hollowed out thing that ended up ransacking other worlds. Right. Uh, obviously right. with the queen really the architecting the plan. Um, the behind, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I mean, hundred percent. Everything about Adams, um, it's certainly in his prime right now. It's funny, like mm-hmm. he might have be one of the writers who's recycled himself the most. <laughs> oh, for sure, oh, for sure. Are, are we ready? So, I got, let, let me yeah. just set the scene here. Do it because I think uh, so. I'm a big Douglas Adams fan. I got to interview him before he died. Uh, I was very pleased to have uh, done that. Very, very, very sad. And he died we, very young. Him. I mean, relatively. He yes. was like 49 years old he or something. He was 49, and he yeah. was clutching a towel at the very end. Um, yeah, it was very, very sad. But uh, but there are so many connections here, so much recycling going on. So he, he um, basically gets this commission roughly at the same time as he gets the commission to to write a full radio series of Hitchhikers, mm-hmm. six episodes. He's already done the pilot. He actually sent the pilot of Hitchhikers to Robert Holmes uh, at Doctor Who. And Robert nice. Holmes is like, oh God, this kid is good, right? Let's uh, <laughs> let's get him on board. So, you know, you know, he kind of uh, got got himself stuck by yeah. Hitchhikers being so good that he's like, he's got to write Doctor Who at Why the same time. Why don't you come in for some lunch or something like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> I work for the BBC, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he writes, uh, th- he's writing three, the next three episodes. I mean, you mm. al- always, always struggle with deadlines Famously, he's the guy who invented the line about, I like the sound of deadlines that they make as they go whooshing overhead. Um, <laughs> and so he's, Such he's an Adam's line. on deadline with that. He's on deadline with this. Naturally, he's recycling stuff. So here are all the connections that I noticed. They have that whole thing in the corridor 
uh right the, the corridor where it's like it's kind of like the hallway version of the hyperloop yes which is first <laughs> of all brilliant because what yeah. do you do in doctor who there's always got to be a corridor scene there's got to always got to be running through corridors he's subverting that right from the start is a corridor right. where you can't run or you run too fast or and it's actually educational because it's all about inertia and einstein yep. versus newton and like newton gets his revenge at the end like there's hardcore physics stuff in here <laughs> anyway oh, yeah. When when the doctor gets rushed through that chamber, he says, "I'll never be cruel to an electron, or an electron in an acceleration chamber, or something like that right. again," which feels like a first draft of the much better joke in Hitchhikers, where uh, they talk about how traveling through hyperspace. Ford tells Arthur, "Traveling through hyperspace is rather unpleasantly like being drunk." Uh, Arthur says, "What's so bad about being drunk?" Ford says, "Ask a glass of water." Uh, and then when they do go into <laughs> hyperspace, Arthur just says very briefly, oh, I'll never be cruel to a gin and tonic again. Uh, which, yeah, so there's a recycled joke. Much better in the Hitchhiker's version, right? I think you'll agree. Uh, how can you be cruel to an electron in a chamber? Yeah. Um, so there's almost the exact same scene with the guard. When he sort of tries to talk the guard into realizing that they've got a very mundane existence. So no, I wouldn't want your mm. job. Like he does that when Ford and Arthur are getting thrown out of the airlock in Hitchhiker. There is Don't Panic. Yeah. Don't Panic is mentioned here. And I really want to know, and I'm sure that even Douglas himself didn't know whether like this line came first and then he used it in Hitchhikers because um, he, one thing he did say to me about, I because I asked him specifically about his writing process and he would just sort of introduce concepts that sounded good, sounded right. good to his comedic ear. And that's where don't, he said that, that don't panic was one of them. Huh. Uh, it just sounded right to have don't panic written on the cover in large friendly letters. Um, Maybe so, this inspired that because exactly. here it just seems like a it's thing he out. says, it's not, yes. there's no gag to it unless no. he's either inadvertently like, throwing in some marketing for his own radio <laughs> thing that he's done. Um, but it does, it does ring a little bit, obviously. And yeah. then they, they, yeah. you know, famously use it as the, the cover phrase. Yeah. The, yeah. the names, there's a lot of similarity in names. Mm -hmm. uh, Ulean, the, the mineral sounds a lot like Ulan as an Ulan Kalufid, who also yep. is in, in book form, the destiny of the Daleks. Um, uh, Bantragenus Five, I think you mentioned that also sounds like Santragenus Five, which was a source <laughs> for the ingredient of in uh, Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. Uh, I'm going to get through all these. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get there. Uh, the it's your own TLDW. The planetized nature of the plot, like the fact that they're, uh, you know, uh, appearing right. around planets. Yeah. I don't think, like, you might think that that's influenced by Star Wars. I've got a whole other thing ready to, to go on, like, the Star Wars influences yeah. on this. I don't think this is one of them. I think that that's just sort of the scale on which he thought. Yeah. You know, and, and you have already in Hitchhikers this sort of notion of the planet Magrathea. Uh, that builds custom built planets and has planets inside it actually has a second version of the earth inside it yeah so, so to be to be clear this yeah. this premiered in 1978 in the fall yes. and and star wars obviously came out in 1977 so so star wars had been around for a bit in may 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 77 right so but didn't come out in the uk until december or january oh interesting so, okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, we didn't have the internet, guys. So <laughs> exactly. I actually made a difference. 
the fact that everyone is suddenly rich with all these minerals mm-hmm. lying around reminds me very much of the fact that the Golga Frinchens, uh in in the, the the B arc at the end of the first Hitchhiker series uh, are suddenly rich with leaves when they crash land on the planet Earth. They made leaves mm. the currency, and suddenly everyone's very li- rich. Which is why they had to burn down the forest. Zanzia uh, <laughs> preventing her life from ending with the the time. What do what do they call them? The time, time dams. Time dams. Thank you. There's a very brief mention of the Galactic Emperor doing the same thing. Uh, oh, okay. In, in the radio series, and that's why we now have a Galactic President i.e. Zavold Briebelbrooks. It's because mm. the Emperor did that. The Emperor hated his son so much that he wanted to <laughs> stay in power forever. It's a lovely, lovely little throwaway plot item uh, being reused. Um, he originally wanted Africa to be the key to time. Right, I was reading about this. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and then sort of introduces the problem of like, then what do we do about Africa? Yeah, yeah, and then he built. He imagines this whole sort of Magrathia-like right. uh, race of people who who create planets of bits of planets. But in Hitchhikers, uh, on Earth, to Slarty Bartfast is redesigning Africa. Right, and he's doing it with fjords because he loves fjords. Yeah, that was his um, thing. And they tell me it's not equatorial enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I oh, just I love it. But yeah, they, yeah, clever idea. Too far again. But that's pretty much it. Like, <laughs> okay, know, so that's the list. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's my list. Also, just the fact that the nurse is the main threat all along. Like, he'd love to do yeah. that sort of thing. Like, the ultimate ruler of the universe turns out to be a guy in a shack. Um, yeah. So that's well, he, he definitely recycled himself. But, I mean, I like that he obviously recycled, like, all the good, a lot of the good stuff. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. all, it's all really good. Um, the thing about Adams, though, is that his writing just has so much humor to it. Mm. And the gags here, they really land. Like, it, this is a funny episode of Doctor Who. And that said, it is because there was a lot of concern, not uh, from, from I think, mostly the head of serial drama. I'm not sure which one, who, but also from um, the director, uh, what is it, Pennant Roberts, I believe, and um, Graham Williams on, like, is this, is this too funny? Is this going to be too funny? And um, I don't think it is, even though the ja- it's very funny. It's one of the funniest episodes of Doctor Who because it balances that humor with the seriousness of what's happening and what Xanag's doing. And it also has Tom Baker, again, it, it, I think in his prime as Doctor Who, really like one of his best better if not his best i mean i know we, we it's hard to pick right because there's talons and there's but they all kind of happened in this sort of two-year period of sort of the last two or three-year period of the last of uh hinchcliffe and the beginning of williams i think and hmm. here like his his lines that i remember the most are honestly the ones about like the terrible crimes of Zanak and how the scale of this mm-hmm. is one of, you know, it's the greatest if, crime in the universe of what they're doing. And it's genocide. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm. the, he genocide several times over. Mm. And um, that is, it's very, very good. And also the, later when he's talking to the captain uh, uh, and he's trying to sort of discern the captain's plan within sort of the queen's plan or is his, mm. how he's working against her that conversation where they're almost trying to one up each other in on how loud they are and how histrionic they are, <laughs> um, which is a great fight to see, but he is so horrified about uh, what he's done here and just screaming like, what's it for? 
what could possibly mm. be worth all this? Like, like, wow. Like he's really just giving the weight and the seriousness of the scale of what, what's happening here. Uh, everything it deserves. And that to me, like really balances out that humor. Yes. There's lots of good gags. Yes. There's lots of silliness even like, honestly, the stuff with the guards, I find, so, you know, it's, it's clever and funny to a point. And then at some point they're just more incompetent than stormtroopers, which I think is one of the other issues of the, uh, <laughs> yes. this, this thing suffers from, but all that said, I mean, like, because they, they're not afraid to sort of uh, go there with how serious this is, and and sell it it uh, it all works it's it's a very well balanced episode yeah it does i mean if if as new who has shown if you can have the humor as long as the thing you're being humorous about is taken deadly serious by the show right uh and that's a stark contrast to the invasion of time which is the last baker we went to and there's two stories prior to this one uh and uh, at the end of the previous season and graham williams is also called on the carpet for that by the head of serials at the bbc and saying that was too funny but the invasion of time was sort of funny in a, in a more frivolous way mm-hmm um, by the way, I, as a long time Tom Baker fan, I had no idea that he looked at the camera that much. Like yeah. he did it, he did it at the end of invasion of time. And I was like, Oh, what a, what a, what a mistake that was to break the fourth wall to look at the camera and smile, but he does it here in the pirate planet as well. Uh, you know, when does he do it again? I- oh, it's, it's fairly early on. Um, I forget the exact scene. I think I kind of wiped it from my head. But yeah, he's like looking at directly at the camera when when he says his zinger at the end of a particular scene. I think it's in the TARDIS. Oh, okay. So it's probably like in those early scenes where they're trying to materialize and they, they can't. And yeah. then Romana does. And, you know, there, there's some good humor there. Um, and again, I, li- I like how the, the script sort of subverts its own uh, humorous setups. I th- I do think the doctor's a little too goofy early on mm. to be believable in that. And again, this isn't necessarily criticism because I think yeah. the show handles it well, but he, he starts walking around Zanak after that initial sort of uh, buffoonery or being made to look like a buffoon by Romana because he mm. couldn't materialize his own TARDIS. And, yeah. she, and she <laughs> does a couple of things from the manual and then she can do it. But then later he's kind of like acting a little too goofy, frankly, it, to the popular like who's going to respond to are you sure this planet's meant to be here have you seen this planet called califrax right. i mean it's just come on man you're just you're just being kind of silly now yeah if you think anyone's going to listen to you yeah and that that is sort of the, the point at which there may be a joke too far on a joke that doesn't necessarily age well of like the doctor can't get anyone to stop and talk to him but romana can and canine says the difference is that she she looks pretty <laughs> well he, he's not wrong <laughs> i mean yeah she does mary mary time is very attractive but also like the doctor sort of it's a bit clunky for me the doctor sort of notices it and he's like ah yeah there's a bit of a almost gurning towards the audience kind of thing and and also it famously kind of uh, is contradicted by what the doctor says about romana in city of death you know douglas adams next um you know full full-on uh doctor who story right where he says i oh you're, you're very attractive probably <laughs> oh right well that's yeah. not romana that's he's actually talking yeah. about the uh the countess or something there but yeah to oh, your point uh, i think it is that they're trying to imply at least with the later line that time lords and comeliness uh is probably not something they really notice or not uh yeah again i I, we could talk all day about that and going to places like the girl in the fireplace and the doctor's sexuality um because i think there's there's strong evidence either way um here uh, you're, you're probably right the joke hasn't 
mm. aged particularly well. Uh, I just, again, I just think it's more like, I don't believe it. I don't yeah. believe that people would literally walk by a person trying to talk to them, uh, even as goofy as he's saying things. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just done wrong. I think people would sort of, they might stop and talk to him and then he would start talking about planets and say, oh, and then they're kind of like, all right, see, so yeah, like, like, in other words, you could write mm-hmm. that in a more believable way that makes the same point, whether or not that point is Roman is either better with people, which is, I think how you'd write it today, or, yeah. you know, that she's attractive. And that I, again, I don't, I don't begrudge the show for going there and that like, well, yeah. people are attractive and sexuality is a thing in the world. And right. that, that has been used throughout history to this day yeah. as a way to get things from people. Right. So, yeah, um, it, it does work, but I think you're, you're right to the point about like you, you get more of a point across if the doctor just, you know, gets dismissed as being a crank for talking yeah. about other planets, that would make it much more clear as to what's what's going on here. That it's all too good to be true, which is something you need to need to drive home. But that said, like the, the comedy in Invasion of Time that was slammed by the BBC for being too comedic was much more slapdash. It was much so more sort of working against the show, whereas the comedy here enhances the show and all of the concepts are taken seriously. Um <laughs> which is a little less true in Invasion of Time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, it's so, a really good template for New Hope. So did you say did you, this is the first time you actually saw the pirate planet? That's correct. Now, how, did you catch the gag, which I can't, I think I caught it on the first viewing, but I'm not sure if it's obvious enough, but I love, it might be my favorite gag in all of Doctor Who, where in episode one, Romana materializes the TARDIS and by the book and she uses multi-loop stabilizer and synchronic feedback and it's all technobabble, mm. whatever that is. And so she does it. And, you know, we learn later that it was all because the planet was trying to materialize at the same time, et cetera. But then later in episode four, they're running back and they have to get the timing just right. And it has to be this perfect way to stop Xanak from materializing around earth and he just very casually says, all right, multi-loop stabilizer, synchronic feedback. And it's just, there's no beat. There's no acknowledgement of it. There's no sudden what. It's just said so casually that mm-hmm. it, unless you were really paying attention to your techno babble in episode one, you'll totally miss it. And I remember uh, just laughing my head off the first time I noticed that, that it was just like this almost a remote reference to its own script. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just such a great gag. That yep. that happens. Did you catch that? I assume you did. I no? sort of, it sort of sounded familiar, but no, it wasn't until I read up on it afterwards that that I I because <laughs> it's so subtle. He just says like yeah. it's just all right. I'm going to do a multi loop stereo synchronic feedback, and it's just if you didn't if you hadn't really picked up on the thing earlier, you just think oh it's just Doctor Who techno babble, whatever. But it's yeah, it's the same things. I mean, the thing about this thing, the, the, these long serials of the classic series, it's like, you know, the idea of watching the same serial over over four half-hour episodes, over four weeks. Right, it's a month. Like, you, you'd yeah. have to think back a month previous <laughs> if you were to pay that off. I, I really, it's almost like, as Adam's anticipating the era of streaming or at least home video on, on that gag, like, I, if, it seems like it, right? See. It's just genius. I think he's just doing it for himself. I think it's appropriate yeah. that Douglas Adams was one of the first owners of the Apple Macintosh, you know, a computer that had the signatures of the designers inside the casing of the machine where no one would ever see it. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's, that was very much his style of like, oh, I'm just going to throw in these references in. And if anyone catches them, that's up to you. I'm just amusing myself. 
Um, <laughs> he had a terrible problem with naming real people in his script. <laughs> Creator of the world's worst poetry was was his uh, was was a name of a friend until they had to the BBC changed it at the last minute. Everyone's uh, like Calufrax Seven, or with lots of yep. X's and Z's oh, and, yeah, and a number at the his- end. He loves his sci-fi tropes. He also loves his pirate tropes. He'd actually uh, mm. uh, played, when he was in college, I believe, he played Long John Silver, which oh, is okay. for such a tall guy. Um, and uh, also Starship Titanic, his game, um, his uh, video game in the 90s. There's a robot parrot in that. So, mm. you know, he loves his robot parrot. Recycling again. Yep, exactly. What did Recycling you think about the pirate stuff here? There's a lot of it. Uh, there's the road, you know, we talked about the robot parrot, the polyphase avatron. Did I get that right? Polyphase avatron, yep. Yep. And the, obviously uh, the captain himself with his cybernetic eye patch, and uh, he's called the captain. Uh, yep. he's, he's big and blustery, that's for sure. Loved it. Which is uh, supposedly why that actor was chosen. Mm. Uh, was that he? It wasn't necessarily for his acting chops, and it's sort of being criticized over the years as being a bit too blustery throughout. A uh, bit too security chief, if you Bruce, will. Bruce Purchase is his name. Yes. He actually did uh, the commentary, at least one of them, on this episode on the original DVDs anyway. Uh, I listened to part of it. It was him and Pennant Roberts, the director. Mm. And uh, he, he is not as blustery on the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Well, he, so he was chosen because simply because he was a big guy. Right. And, and could shoulder all of the equipment that the captain was right. supposed to wear. Well, he also had lifts apparently. So this is what yes. I learned in the <laughs> commentary and he was, so he would just tower above everybody. Mm. Um, so, you know, interesting choice, but how did you like his performance overall? Do you, do you think it works? Well, it's, it's a misdirect, right? I mean, it's that sort mm. of the idea for it. You're supposed to think he's the main threat so you don't uh, suspect the queen. You don't suspect this curious assistant at his side. But yeah, I think he probably <laughs> leaned a little bit too much into that. Uh, Adams himself was pretty horrified when he saw the performance was so campy. Um, it wasn't what he intended. Uh, yeah, I, I think, okay. again, there's there's definitely ways you could have improved this. I, I, I think it's fine in that, you know, you kind of enjoy the moons of madness, Mr. Fibuli, and like by the beard <laughs> of the sky demon. And you kind of like, it's, it's such an easy thing to parody and, and just quote. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to a point. And it is one of the things I'll, I'll get to what my kids thought of it a bit later. But one of the things Grace did point out was like, you know, yeah, that's got annoying. <laughs> and she's 10. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. for, for that kind of pirate thing to get annoyed for, <laughs> if it's the 10 year olds are going, yeah, it's still yeah. too much. Not into talk like a space pirate day. But uh, I think there was more of an opportunity to do a switch flip once, mm-hmm. like it's the doctor. And I, again, I, I really like how the doctor, again, seems to be shown to be a bit uh, almost buffoonery early on, but then uh, comes to bring his experience and knowledge to bear and really take ownership of stuff. It's really well written for him and Baker. And so his observation to Romana, who was dismissing the captain, oh, he's just big and blustery he's he's uh, a nobody and the, the, the doctor stops her like no the captain's actually a very dangerous and intelligent man mm. like he's picked up on that this is an act and yeah. you kind of know it's an act if you think about it even as a viewer you don't have, quite have to be told it i mean you do, kind of do because you know it's a show and it has to show you things but the 
his first scene after Zanak has been thwarted from its proper materialization and he's going to Mr. Fibula and Mr. Fibula is like, oh, no, no, it's all going to be okay. And it's the captain who corrects him. He's the guy who shouts at him, wait a second. Well, no, 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 let's check. Let's check the data. Then he kind of like, okay, look at that. You're telling me X happened when clearly Y happened. You know, like mm-hmm. he's right off the bat. He's shown, he's like, oh, okay. There, there's some yeah. smarts here. And then he goes back to sort of his bluster. So you kind of want to, yeah. I wanted to see the wool over his eye. Yeah. You kind of wanted to see a little more of a switch flip later when he's mm-hmm. like, we know it's an act. What are you going to do? And I will say, this is probably one of the weaker parts of the script is like, you want to see him try to really execute his plan in episode four, which the doctor describes as getting inside the time dams to kill Zanxia. Yeah. Uh, through his the system he set up with the crushed planets, which uh, yeah. tapping into that power somehow, but he never really does that. Like basically, what he does, he makes one very crude, dumb attempt. I would say to stab her. It looks like yep. he's just pulling out a, a knife. Like that's your master plan now. And then later, he just kind of picks something up, like it's like a circuit board or something. Like like that was like I don't even get what he was trying to do there. And then she just kind of like switch it does some switch and his all cybernetics kind of explode and kill him. Um, but I wanted to see like him come closer to doing that. Right. Like obviously at the end, you kind of need the doctor to sort of save the day, but mm. at the end, you know, the, his, his storyline just kind of peters out and he never really gets a chance to through his performance show those smarts. Uh, mm. So yeah, it's a, again, an unfortunate really- missed opportunity. It is definitely very rushed at the end. It almost feels like it should have been a six-parter. Yeah, almost. And that would have, you know, a lot of the clever stuff would have stretched out nicely. They'd have more money to do it. Um, and it really would have gotten to this this captain's plot at the end with the using the planets to break through the time. Like you could have had a whole episode devoted to that instead of it just sort of floundering. And like it, it is, as you're right, it's very blink and you miss it. I think I did blink and miss the, the dagger and the circuit board um, yeah. resolution there. And it's it's sort of, oh, what, what happens? Everyone's getting blown up. Everyone's dying. Not even sure. Well, it's funny. Uh, it's funny you say it could be six episodes because, um, hmm. again, this is one of the episodes that for the longest time wasn't novelized. Yeah. And it eventually was. And actually, I actually have the book. So I have the Pirate nice. Planet um, by James Goss. And it's thick. Like, look at this. Like, well, this is a hardcover, but it's 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 a big one. And yeah. it's based on Douglas Adams' uh, original drafts of right. the story. So it's very similar. Like, yeah. so it's not just the idea phase, like the stuff with Africa or whatever. We're, we're beyond that. He's actually doing the first drafts. And, and the Mentiads weren't called Mentiads, were they? Yeah, they were called Mourners. Mm-hmm. And there is there's other story stuff and one of the big differences is that the doctor actually walks the plank so mm. guys if you don't <laughs> want the pirate planet planet novel spoiled i know we say spoiler a lot like a lot like in this show i'm really giving you one okay because it is a great book i would definitely encourage you fast forwarding by about a minute maybe mm-hmm. here at this point because i'm going to spoil one thing in the pirate planet book is that he walks the plank and the plank okay First of all, I want to pause. Everybody gone? Okay. Skip now. (laughs) Skip, skip. He walks the plank, and he's actually walking over the core of Mm -hmm. Zanak. And at this point, Caliphrax is gone. It's hollow. And he falls and falls and falls and falls and falls and falls. And he falls a long time. 
basically mm-hmm. to the center of the planet. Now, honestly, I'll be real. I don't think it would work that way. <laughs> like guys, in terms of gravity inside a hollow planet, what I've been told uh, in science, some uh, science classes, that gravity is basically identical. So at, mm. at any point in the middle of the sphere, you you wouldn't fall to the middle, I don't think. Or rather, once you fell through, maybe it's just continuous momentum. Because um, basically gravity no longer affects you because the effect of gravity is to square the distance and the stuff further away from you is the square of the distance of the stuff behind you. And basically there's an equal amount of force from the shell from all directions. Wow. So basically whatever momentum you had going down, you would just keep going, I guess. So, hmm. um, but he's still falling and he's screaming and he's yelling and then he stops and he kind of falls asleep. And he, like, there's all this <laughs> stuff. And, but, um, at some point there's no air. And again, time Lords can survive for a while without that. But ultimately what happens is Romana rescues him in the TARDIS. Hmm. And so there's this whole, there could have been literally a whole falling episode. Yeah. <laughs> in in the pirate planet uh but it's it's yeah. a kind of an epic idea um, i love it i love it i mean that that would sort of uh you know talking about seeing new who ahead of time that that would be kind of a little heaven sentish right? totally the, the totally just falling or the repeated falling yeah i remember reading it and kind of like kind of again i think that the novelization does a great job of trying to convey both the scale of things that Daddams was trying to do and and the humor um there's actually one line that they might have stole from Polta open where <laughs> uh essentially the novelization says there's a line that's like the fault locator told her the fault locator was broken i love it yes. okay i love it someone else has been thinking about the fault locator yeah. uh, previously mentioned in was what th- that was marco polo right was, yeah, was that's what we. I think yeah. we talked about it uh, because the whole TARDIS got broken down in Marco Polo because of one circuit board. And the Doctor <laughs> mysteriously repairs an ancient China somehow. Yes, <laughs> and the fault locator light uh, must have must have been faulty. So, yeah, perfect. Love it. Love it that someone else is on it. And uh, yeah, it's there is so much potential here, and it's it's sort of almost a shame that it is. I, uh, done this early, right? That it's it's Adam's first Doctor Who script, right? And he had people on the inside like advocating to do it. There were other people who were trying to kill this story, mm. um, and uh, and Adam's eventually won. But you could imagine him doing this later on, and imagine if it was a New Who thing, like the amount you'd be able be able to bring to this production. Mm. You know, New Who has not done pirates in a very inspired way. It has to be said, right? That's true. Goes <laughs> to the black spot. Um, uh, Legend yeah. of the Sea Devils. <laughs> Legend of the Sea Devils. <laughs> Curse of the Black Spot. Still ahead of us. Curses. Um, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> arg. Uh, but this is oh space, like actual space pirates, not these space pirates. Actuals like really inventive, creative, thoughtful. Something deleted from the original script. I don't know if it made it into the book. Was this uh, the Doctor sort of complimenting the polyphase Avatron as being mm. like you know cleaner than a than a regular parrot yeah uh, so i love the idea it's all like pirates plus yeah well pirates i gotta say sci-fi tropes one of the things you mentioned new who and what they could have done with this with new who and it would have been certainly amazing i mean it's really good as it is but one of the things that would have been i think truly amazing is the uh, dog fight between uh, canine yes. and the polyphase avatron which yeah. again i think the idea of it 
is conveyed here and you're into it to the extent you can get into something shot in 1978 on a shoestring budget. But can you imagine that in CGI and them just kind of in in this amazing duel, like, and then writing it as a modern action scene, uh, it would be incredible. Yeah. First of all, the robot parrot would be actually threatening. Yeah. Or it could be a kind of thing where, oh, you think it's a comedy robot parrot. Oh, no, my God, it's not. Like, it suddenly turns terrifying or, you know, its right. eyes blink open or something like that. It really needed a little bit extra. Yeah. I would uh, say even even Laserbeak in the Transformers is more threatening than the Polyphase <laughs> Avatron. I do not know Laserbeak. Now I'm going to have to watch Transformers. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we'll get you started. I'll get send you a list. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that would have been, that was definitely, you know, reach exceeding grasp um, or grasp exceeding reach. I forget which one, which way we're around. It's supposed to go if you're young and naive. Um, but that is to to the point of like, we've, we've brought up Star Wars. I, I do have a list of potential Star Wars influences here that I saw. Okay. Uh, and I think that the, the parrot is what the parrot felt very much like a parody of the, the floating Death Star droid. That injects Princess Leia, you know, right? Yeah, you know, that, that's a, the idea of the, the floating drop. But that was obviously done much more menacingly. Um, hmm. The life force, yeah, uh, yeah, that's thought of that too. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially when an entire planet getting destroyed, presumably a populated mm-hmm. one, but basically all life on a planet being extinguished, causing some kind of psychic release essentially crying out in terror and then silence, yes. you might say. Yes. Um, very, very prescient. Very, very, like, I mean, y- you definitely like, we when it's described here and in Star Wars, you get it. And it's very believable. It's like, oh, so this is why this planet has a weird group of telepaths. Yeah. Uh, and not just telepaths, they have telekinesis as well that Isn't suddenly that have powers, which I think I, that's I, pretty cool. Star Wars is, you know, I give Star Wars a lot of credit. Obviously, I wrote a whole book on it, but I, it, it is often, it's rarely been this creative. Could you imagine, like, the Mentiads put you in mind of Jedi who only get their Force powers when something else dies or someone yeah. else dies, and that life force come back to the universe? Wow, that's there's there's a concept that is sort of much derided in fan circles called Gray Jedi, where they're sort of Jedi but they're morally ambiguous, and this has never been taken up really in, in proper Star Wars canon but you know some fans keep going on about it but that would be super gray jedi Mm. (laughs) you know mentiads are kind of gray jedi well i like the mentiads mostly work as a plot device um they do what they sort of need to do and i think the only thing that isn't very well explained away is why don't they just take over Mm. because they're shown right at the start that their mental powers can shield them from the guards blasts they can uh have pretty tremendous powers of uh telekinesis uh using their own force blasts like basically well, how come they don't just own the place and the only explanation they really give is they they don't understand their power they don't really get what their purpose is which is i guess believable on some level like in other words they're kind of not interested in conquest and they're thinking about, well, what would we even do if we got rid of the captain? How would we even rule, I guess? Um, so I can almost believe that. What I, what I sort of choose to headcanon in on that is that their powers are also relatively new, or that at least the level of their power is. So clearly, after each planet that's been decimated by Xanak, they get more and more powerful. 
I think they've probably only become a serious problem after the last few jumps. And mm-hmm. now they, they, they've only, in other words, them being completely immune to getting shot and all that, that's probably relatively new and they haven't fully figured out what they want to do with that yet. Um, that's yeah. my theory anyway. Yeah, two extra episodes definitely have fleshed out the Mentiads and their powers a lot more. As it is, they're kind of at several points shown to be almost uh, comically underpowered, right? There's the mm, point yeah. where they can't open a door. And I understand it's because the, you know, the, the, cap- right. the captain on the bridge has activated this other force that's acting against them. But still, that means that like the the big finale, like it's the, can the Mentiads open a door? Um, <laughs> and they can't. They never actually open the door. I know, right? <laughs> and then uh, and then right at the end, the Doctor sort of invites them to use their psychic powers to blow up the bridge, which very interesting way of getting yourself out of responsibility for killing people, Doctor. Uh, have the locals do it. Interesting solution to the trolley problem there. Well, did he kill people, though? I mean, I think it's just clearly the place had been evacuated at that point, I think. Oh, it had? The bridge has been well, completely I don't evacuated. know. I mean, here's the thing. Like, you don't see that many people. Like, one of the yeah. things, again, with, with a six-episode, you could probably flesh out a little more, is like, what is the deal with Xanak and how many people are on it? It, do, it? From what you could tell here, it doesn't seem like very many. It mm. seems like there is this village, which is presumably the capital because it's right beside the bridge. And maybe there are a few more tribes here and there. This is essentially like state of decay planet. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause they do, they do mention there was a war and, and most of the planet was decimated by it. So I, I feel this is a very sparsely, sparsely populated planet and nice. they're kept docile by the constant golden ages and all the riches. Um, now that said, again, I don't mean to pick too much here because mm-hmm. there's brilliant plotting going on, but from an economic standpoint, and I kind of can't believe I said those words as I'm talking about Doctor, <laughs> but really, it doesn't make sense that they're rich just because there's jewels all over the place, right? Especially yes. if they don't have any contact with other planets, which is pretty clear from this. So just because diamonds are super common here, well, that... From from simple laws of supply and demand, that means they're worthless. Doesn't mean yes. you're rich. And it's the fact exactly. that they're lying around means they're worthless. So Which is exactly what Adams has realized by the time he writes that same plot in the, the Gol Golgofrinchian context. Right. Where the Golgofrinchians realize they are all immensely rich and it takes an entire forest to buy a ship's peanut. Uh, therefore, the only way to f- to fix this from an economic <laughs> standpoint is to burn down the forests. Yeah, right. So that's that's Adam's thinking this through. And here he's just sort of making jokes about economic miracles. Uh, it sort of feels very much like comment on all of the industrial action of the seventies, all of the strikes. Like the mines mm. are actually empty and they shut down, but they just sort of you know turn up with massive amounts of jewels and you know they they're automated and. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know well, that the, part the went over my head. Right, <laughs> the, the mining. The fact uh, that they actually show like a British mine of the seventies, like that's right. You know, yeah, that's yeah. They actually get into a, a mine uh, lift. Yes, so it's a real mine lift. There's a few real things here. There's that. There's the yeah. power station, which is doubles as an engine room. The captain's engine room is a real power station that they yeah, shot the somewhere. Mine, the mine lift is very, giving very green death. We we saw that right. Uh, use of you know uh britain's abandoned mines which were getting increasingly abandoned as he was writing this um 
So it's almost an in- interesting historical piece mm. from that perspective. But okay, just just to close the loop on everything that I saw that was Star Wars-ish, we talked about the life force. We talked about how the guards are a bit stormtrooper-ish, although they're sort of like a cross, but they're like if someone had seen one picture of Darth Vader and one mm. picture of stormtroopers and sort of decided to merge them into a very cheap costume, that's kind of what you'd get with the guards. Mm. Um yeah, I see that. The yeah, the and they're always missing, just like stormtroopers. Uh, the air car looks very, very much like a land speeder. Very much, yes. very much. Oh, stealing cars! I forgot to mention that. That that's a Douglas Adams plot point from Hitchhiker's Guide. Like that's what uh, Zaphod and Ford do at the restaurant at the end of the universe. They steal, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the rock stars ship uh, disaster area. He steals their their car. Adams likes stealing cars. I think uh, you know if there are any unsolved crimes in the 1970s of car theft in uh, the center of London, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, maybe he was doing some. Uh, research um but yeah i thought that was fabulous i loved the the air car stuff and the fact mm. that they're just sort of having random conversations about isaac newton you know which is to my point uh when we were talking about the unquiet dead and charles dickens you know the way that this was the way the classic series used to do it right the most part it was like oh it was just the doctor boasting about having met isaac newton yeah totally and this is yeah. i feel like this is very much rule number one yeah. <laughs> like he's just dropping the historical figure names and saying and taking credit for whatever they did. Yeah. Um, okay. And especially doctor. as he says that he dropped apples on Newton's head and then Newton was just like, get out of my tree, uh, right. which is a great joke. Doubt it actually happened. Uh, so definitely <laughs> rule number one there. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's my star Wars list. And I don't think, again, I don't think the planet size nature of the plot, the death star yeah. many people have pointed out with Zanuck. Uh, I think that's just the size of Adams's brain. Like he was always trying to connect things to a planetary scale as he does so often in hitchhikers. So at the human scale, I want to circle back to something we teased a bit in the feedback loop. Um, there's a point here where Romana kills a guy. Or at least it's strongly implied she does. Now, do the guards' guns have stun settings? That's never mm-hmm. really clear. Generally, it seems like they don't. Uh, the Mentiad that gets killed, I don't think, comes back. But there's a point where the Mentiads, they're getting shot at, the Mentiads no longer have their powers. So Roman is the one who grabs the gun and shoots a guard. And she's pretty casual about it. Um, I don't know. What did you think of that? Is there... Do you think they tried to make it imply that it was uh, uh, just a, she was just stunning him? Or is this just kind of how you did action? Um, I don't know. Is it, should we unpack this? Is there stuff to unpack here? It feels unpackable. I yeah I don't know I honestly missed that. <laughs> I, I, so I think I must have assumed that the guard was stunned. Um, and yeah, that they have stun settings on here. I mean, like there's the only we the only deaths that we see for sure like are on on the on the bridge right we've got uh you know the, the captain keeps killing off uh officers for their well regardless i guess i think that when the doctor and he, the doctor has wielded guns before and it kind of you know those are very unpackable moments mm. but i do feel like this is a good Again, it's not something they'd set up a lot for old Who, but in new Who, I like where they went in places like Journey's End where they talk about how the Doctor 
says he doesn't use guns, but he turns people into soldiers. And whether this person's been stunned or killed, and I do think there's a strong case to make that she just kills the guy. Um, it's it, that's definitely the case here. Now, I'm not accusing to be clear. I'm not accusing Ramon of anything or murder. I mean, it's, it's clearly self defense. Like the guy, there, right. he's shooting at them. Like if the only thing in your hand is another gun, I think it's completely justified to shoot back. Um, but it is, you know, uh, there's no question that that is a, a serious and often traumatizing thing for people. And here they should just kind of does it. And it's like, all right, boom, kill the guard, and we're off. Um, yeah, yeah. There have definitely been videos made of pointing out that the, you know, the 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 new series attitude to guns is the thing that the Doctor never handles or never encounters. He's never around. That you know, he doesn't kill people, or his companions don't kill people. That is refuted so many times in the old series. Like it just, <laughs> it's all over the place. And it's definitely, I think, of a piece with that Star Warsness of the way that stormtroopers are just. What happens to stormtroopers after they get shot? By mm. our heroes. Do, are they dead? Are they stunned? We don't even know. You don't even care. Like, as long as there's no blood on the screen, uh, yeah. it's not even really an issue. Yeah, no, it's true. And certainly the the guards here, I mean, the, the similar to Stormtroopers is all over the place, mm. not just in their accuracy, but you they're nameless and faceless. Like, they're, you yeah. kind of wonder how they're even seen out of those helmets. You can't even yeah. uh, see and, who they are. Sure. Yeah, and their stupidity, uh, which is yeah. which is repeated, and there's that repeated thing, which I'm not sure if you were this was necessary, like uh, using quote unquote jelly babies or using sweets to throw on the the land yeah. speeder on the air car. The guard gets distracted both times. Now, I do want to throw in a nitpick here because the doctor says he's carrying jelly babies. And there is a scene where, you know, we 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 see the sort of the uh, greed and the venality of the uh, of the people of Zanak, where he offers a jelly baby, and this guy takes like three or four of them. Right, it's actually Romana, which again, one of the yeah, funnier yeah. jokes. She, where yes. where did you get those? She said, same place you do, your pocket. Now, when when they're doing the gag with the uh, guard twice, both times, what they're not using is jelly babies, but licorice all sorts. Uh, one of one of my favorite candies to one of my least favorite candies, growing dude. Up. And you thought my missing the randomizer number was a scandal? How are we even talking about that? <laughs> yes, licorice all sorts. Never present a licorice all sorts to someone and say it's a jelly baby. My goodness, I think they do appear to be. Je- Maybe that's the joke. Maybe it's another one of these subtle Adams jokes that because Romana has been rather free with the doctor's pockets and uh, stolen the jelly babies that. He has to resort now to his backup, his emergency backup pocket, which only has licorice all sorts in, uh, which mm. might be a joke of how they were sort of uh, kind of <laughs> seen as a being very on, low on the candy totem pole. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's the first time Good I've rant. seen or thought about licorice all sorts in a long time. Uh, if you're a fan of licorice all sorts, please do write in and tell us how much you love their appearance in the Pirate Planet. I do think we have a bingo now on licorice all sorts in Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> not close to a bingo on Jelly Babies, though. Still many, many more episodes. One of one of the lesser bingo cards. It's further <laughs> further back in the file cabinet, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I, my whole issue is like the guard is he's kind of fooled twice, and the second time he's not fully fooled. So it is good that sort yeah. of Adams uh, not quite corrects himself, but does sort of flips that on its head a bit. But then they mm. still get the upper hand. I forget what happens. I think Kanon shoots him. I forget. Um, yeah. But it, uh, just generally, the guards, and it's not like this is unique to the pirate planet, but 
they're they're very incompetent. They can't shoot. They they disappear um, at the end. They're basically they're they're just gone. They they can't even run around and stop the completely imp- now impotent mentiads who have no mental powers. Um, so there's probably only like four on the planet <laughs> to begin with. And then they, they just get promptly forgotten about. So yeah. that's kind of unfortunate. I mean, you kind of have to do it in some stories like this. I, again, I, I like it when you can have a more believable way for people to, avoid. I said this in the war games. Uh, I said it in other things that, you want the villains to be formidable and you don't want just convenience to be the thing that mm. wins the day for the heroes. Um, I, and I do like it when guards get their moment, you know, like when the few yeah. times in fiction where nameless, faceless guards actually do pretty well. And I would count honestly, the force awakens as one of these things. If there's mm-hmm. nothing else, the force awakens does. Yes. And I know the newer movies are controversial and have a lot of critics. I I'm one of them, but the force awakens like redeems stormtroopers to some extent. Yes. Like they are actually the helmet. Yeah. Kind of, kind of effective Mm. uh, when they're working for the empire or sorry, the first order in that one. Yes. Yeah. And it is kind of (laughs) ironic given, given that Adam's recycling has seen about, you know, I wouldn't want your life as a God and trying to make a first attempt at personalizing a God, which is done so much better in, in hitchhikers. Again, it's like you get into the whole God's history and like, he's, he's, he's doing this because his aunt suggested it. And, you know, the hours are good. And, but he's never heard Beethoven, so Ford tries to hum a bit of Beethoven for him. Like that, re- then you're really getting into oh, guards are people, guards are mm. people too. Uh, let's focus on this one guy who's just going to throw you out of an airlock and bellows resistance is useless. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I love that idea, but yeah, he doesn't fully flesh it out. Which again, maybe six episodes, six or seven episodes would have given him the room to do so. Yeah, um, though I will say the I would not have liked to see. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's basically my, if I have a problem with any of the episodes, it's only the last part of episode four, right? Hmm. Which unfortunately is the end. So, um, once the TARDIS and Xanak, uh, smash into each other again, and they're both, um, in a sorry state after that, uh, that's kind of the end, even though it's not. Cause again, like you want to see the captain's plan sort of figure out he just gets killed. And then the final, uh, triumph is just uh, God. I don't even remember the character's name. The other guy, right? It, mm. He shoots. Someone shoots. I don't can't remember who does it. Someone shoots Zangsia, and then yes. she just disappears. And then, essentially, the doctor speaks what happens. Like he explains what they're going to do, and they kind of do it. And you're behind it and you get it because what, you know, they're throwing the remains of the planets in the middle of Xanak and they expand. And so it becomes a regular planet after which I'm kind of like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) It seems like the whole place. How do you know it's not just going to blow up? Like, why wouldn't that that sudden expansion of mass just destroy Xanak? Um, I guess, you know, he's he's figured out how to not have that happen. But still. Uh, and Kemus, uh, by the way, is the name of the character. Kemus, yeah. yeah. Did, did yeah. but was it him or was it the the woman? I actually Couldn't can't even remember. <laughs> but I remember. Yeah, I should so be much. able to remember. Like it's just so. Like uh, it's not. It doesn't ruin the story because I think the climax is the spanner hitting the engine and them definitively winning against Xanak uh, and preventing them from destroying the Earth. Um, that's good. 
And yes. then it, but there's still sort of more to do. And it seemed like either Adams didn't quite know what to do or the production couldn't realize it. And they were sort of rushing to sort of finish the production mm. in a way that wasn't bad. And it's not bad, but it's not great. Yes. I'm also sad that Mr. Fibuli does not get uh, more of a death scene. He does get yeah. kind of being sad over him, which is a nice, but again, that, that sort of, that's so rushed. You barely even realize that the pathos of that scene, the captain's been shouting at Mr. Fibuli throughout the show. And then he gets he, this sort of like, Oh, Oh, alas, poor Fibuli. He doesn't even get a line. I, you kind of want to mm. see that sort of end of Star Trek two line where, mm. you know, cons number one sort of, says some w- w- line about him being superior and they kind of have a moment between them as opposed to just the mm. captain going like, Oh, I'm going to miss that guy. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's so sad because Mr. Fibuli was definitely my favorite character. I think that yeah, he's so good above all others kind of makes this is, is sort of what Adams is going for. That sort of he's, he's serious, but he's comedy. He's, he's, you know, on a pirate ship, but he also kind of feels like Jeeves. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's got the very sort of butler like quality where he's kind of kind of looking down his nose at the captain while being obsequious to him at, yeah. at the same time. It's a wonderful, wonderful combination. And uh big shout out to Andrew Robertson who played Mr. Fibley. He he just really nails that character and also manages to look very seventies at the same time. He's got like this afro going on, he's got those cool shades that everyone was wearing, you know, the uh, uh what do you call them? Uh, you know, the things that they're like shades, but like, they're also glasses and like everyone in the 70s was like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Transitions. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's got that feel to it. It felt very much like a, you know, it gave me vibes of like a Superman 1970s comic uh, with, a, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the characters like him and the other officers, you know, the, the way that they dress, the way that they look. But yeah, Mr. Fibuli is wonderful and gives the captain something to play off. I think the captain would be yeah. a thousand times more annoying if it was just him. Uh, but that double act is just great. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, I will say most of the pirate stuff, I feel it like for all how, for as much as I like some of the realizations, like the idea of the polyphase avatron, if not the execution, the mm-hmm. captain, mm-hmm. you know, the cybernetic eye patch is pretty fun. Um, Mr. Fibuli, obviously a bit of a, almost like the Smee character from yes. Captain, Captain Hook. Right. Um, yeah. so, so all of this works, but for some reason it like the whole thing just doesn't really feel like a pirate story. Right. It even as I know it has pirate in the title and I get the implication of this planet's kind of a pirate ship in a sense, but it's, you know, it, it it's not really like swashbuckling. It's not really like um you know on the high seas etc there there isn't that feel to it it's it is a nice canvas or rather yeah. it's a nice theme to the painting that they're doing here and, and adds a, a great deal of color um yeah. but i, I honestly good. wouldn't count this as a pirate story you know it's just kind of a pirate colored sci-fi story i i do want to give a shout out since we're talking about the art uh, of things uh the the that little city model oh yeah uh, really loved it like top-notch model work there you mm. know love the, the sort of the fact that then they're, they're sort of all, almost not making it try to look like a miniature it's just weird and alien and you know you can tell it has lots of hovels and windows in the in this alien very alien looking city really like that i do you know to your point about not being parody like as soon as it dawned on me and I didn't know this before before watching it, that it was like the entire planet is the pirate ship. I'm like, oh mm. my God, that has such 
potential. And that was where I was like, oh God, you kind of wanted this to be an idea saved for New Who because oh, wow, what could effects do today with a pirate ship the size of a planet? Well, just think about some of the things you could do today and realize. Mm. Like you could show certainly when when they're materializing at the end around Earth, you could mm. kind of show that. You could show yeah. people on Earth looking up and seeing the yeah. sky sort of starting to change, but not fully changing. Um, could I, you'd probably have to do this through flashback, but you could show what it's like for a planet to to have it suddenly materialized around another planet. So, so from the perspective of the planet being ransacked, and suddenly everything yes. goes dark, and then you might see just massive, massive mining like uh augers and stuff like that that just just immediately just start bur- burrowing into the planet and there's people wow. panicking and screaming and you know a little not not incredibly horrific but like getting a sense of that horror uh, uh, of what happens in that instant you're suddenly uh targeted by Zanak that would yes, be really yeah. cool and it would be very much like the scenes in Hitchhiker's Guide where, where you know, the Vogons arrive yeah. and everyone on Earth suddenly has to deal with them all at the same time. And you could even, you know, you throw in, if you ever do this as a modern version, you could always just cut to a random guy in a pub in his dressing gown going, this must be a Thursday. I never could get the hang of Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just make, make the references there. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I just... I love it. And you could definitely kind of explain the whole key to time thing by showing them then in the future, picking up, uh, you know, Califrax out of, out of the vortex, which also, by the way, one more hitchhikers thing. I, that kind of reminds me of the way that Ford prefect accidentally signals Zaphod Beeblebrox in the second radio series is to ask, uh, that he's on prehistoric earth is to accidentally have his towel, uh, thrown into a lava stream, which then becomes a fossil, which is then picked up by, uh, Zephyr Beeblebrox's ship, the Heart of Gold, uh, mm. in the future. So it's like, you know, and Zephyr thinks, oh, well, what a great plan. Oh, no, it was just like, you know, it's just time doing its work, uh, which feels very much like this. But anyway, yes, huge ambition, uh, really, really good story. Um, and yeah, it may be time to take it to task and stick it on the rack, Mr. Fibuli, and ask it four questions. <laughs> I've got a lot of questions, more than just four, but <laughs> we'll stick it to the four questions to Doomsday. First question, why did the randomizer take us here? Well, <laughs> we've <laughs> been we over this be, a bit. <laughs> we've been over this. The randomizer really wants pirates. Um, yep. and you know, we really stepped on its big pirate reveal. So it's trying to bring it back to that. Um, yeah, it's sort of, we can't really say why it brought us here from the unquiet dead because <laughs> it didn't, uh, <laughs> want us to come from the unquiet dead, but it's also a bit, bit, it felt a bit Marco Polo ish in the, the sort of the, the slightly educational aspect being very well, um, uh, kind of blended in with the story. I mm. felt, um, you know, the the whole question of comedy. Uh, obviously, the randomizer loves Douglas Adams. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, it's <laughs> yeah, and it's another low key TARDIS episode, right? The TARDIS doing stuff that we've never seen it do before. Uh, yeah, I really the TARDIS manual. 
Yeah, I, I really like the use of the TARDIS here as a plot device because mm-hmm. um, it sort of comes in at the end when they realize uh, the what happened in the first episode and that they can replicate it. It's very, very smart. Um, so I, I would go back two stories to the War Games, and mm-hmm. it's yes. mostly... Uh, was that two stories? I guess that was three stories ago, now that I think about it, because yep, we had yep. Marco Polo. But the... Um, the, just the layering of plot and the building and the building and th- here it's quicker. And I think there's more and it's more twisty. Um, <clears throat> but the, it shows sort of the efficiency of it and sort of doing it in four episodes. Cause it's funny, like it's funny. We've said repeatedly in this that we kind of wish it was longer which is not thing you actually say that often. We we say that often about classic who, right? right Usually it's like right. it could be a lot shorter. This could be a one hour episode. You could get rid of all the corridor stuff, and you'd still have something. And here we just want it's leaving us wanting more, right? And yes. but it's it's like all the the plot is really expertly laid on. Like if you think about it, the big reveal of what Zanuck is and how the scale of it and how horrific it is. That's the end of episode two. You know, yeah. that that could be the climax in sort of a, a lesser ambitious story done by a lesser writer. Uh, but no, it just it just keeps going on and on. And it's like, OK, so once that's revealed, you get that reveal of the captain's plan with the super crushed planets and the gravitational alignment mm-hmm. and et cetera. Um, you get the reveal of Zanxia. Um, you get the Mentiads and their mental powers, but then it's taken away. You get um earth threatened and by the way why is quartz so special about earth that's kind of another kind of minor weak spot in it it's like somehow not only is quartz not uh, on other planets i don't think that's necessarily true but also that why why would the presence of a mineral make any difference at all like you're they're clearly talking about a piece of equipment which i get okay maybe it needs quartz to function but I, I, one does not equal the other, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah um, on paper, throwing Earth in at the end almost doesn't work, and I, I could definitely see it being more coherent if you don't just randomly throw Earth in. But I think to your point about you know the stakes constantly getting raised, yeah, and what it's about constantly getting raised. I did get that sense when they suddenly mentioned Earth. I'm like, oh wait, what? No, no, yeah. don't come for us. <laughs> Hang on yeah. a minute brings the threat home and it's it's yeah. fun because usually doctor who episodes that don't begin on earth don't necessarily con- con- concern themselves with earth like it doesn't mm-hmm. really come into it unless it's like mentioned as part of a colony or something but right. here it's sort of br- brought in as sort of the 11th hour and like oh by the way we're going to blow up this planet and it's like it's earth oh okay that's that yeah you definitely sort of it's a lean forward moment no question yeah and you kind of realize that you've been less concerned about these other planets yeah and it's almost like this is your punishment for being less concerned about these other planets because now we're coming for yours and he's just sort of saying it in the same casual slapdash manner the captain is that, that he grabbed these others well and on top of all the layering i just mentioned like it's part of the key to time arc and yeah. not only is it that the key to time is of this huge scale, it's an entire planet, but it actually becomes part of the story in that mm-hmm. they, they mine it. It's, it's in crushed form, but because of that, it's not going like it's going to make the captain's plan not work. Now I think again, that there should have been probably another draft or two here where that's realized better because mm-hmm. it's really just more talked about than actually seen. It would have been cool yeah. to see his thing, whatever he tries to do, 
um, start, but then not work. And then, then Zangsia gets the upper hand on him again. Um, uh, but unfortunately they just sort of had it peter out. Um, but yeah, like, uh, again, I see, I see that sort of both, both the war games and the pirate planet doing these really ambitious high scale and twisty plots. Um, and neither one being quite the right length. Um, moving on to the second question, which is, what if the evil plot had succeeded? All right. So first of all, we need to decide whose evil plot we're talking about. Is it Zanxia's or is it the uh, the pirate captain's evil plot? Because they both are both <sighs> pretty evil plots. Well, is the captain's really as evil? Because the captain just wants to kill her and take over, right? And presumably, I don't know. We actually don't know kind of what kind of guy the captain is. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> is he just going to go around shrinking more planets? Hmm. Uh, by the way, another reason for the randomized take us here, given that we were talking about the master and uh, Shrinky Dinks uh, in uh, <laughs> in uh, the War Games uh, podcast that I do have. You know, the, the War Master being the uh the war chief being the master right um yeah well, so. i think i think you could presume the captain isn't all good because if mm. he was and then in other words his evil blustery stuff is all just an act mm. because you think he would want to work with the doctor more openly or more directly rather um against Zanxia. and then mm. so <clears throat> i think his version of him being the sole person in charge isn't benevolent. Hmm. Um, so that's fair. I think it's fair to characterize what he wants to do as evil, but his, his evil plot succeeding is killing Zangsia and taking over. Does he then continue the crimes of Zanak? Uh, uh, yeah. What probably? is his personal motivation? Yeah. That you, you've yeah. actually uncovered a problem with his weakness in his character is that we just, all we do is we see him, you know, gobbling down planets, which turns out to be not, not his idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So if it's Zangsia's evil plot, then presumably that the TARDIS maneuver at the end doesn't work. Right. And they actually get killed or crushed in the TARDIS. Yeah. And so, and then Xanak materializes around earth yep. and earth's in big trouble. Yeah. Earth, earth's gone. And, and basically Zanzi is going to have to keep doing this with planet after planet, right? Just to keep, to stay alive. To keep well, and even the doctor even says what's next sons. And I think at some point maybe mm. that happens and you know, they expand Xanak or discard Xanak and adopt a Dyson sphere wow. and use that to start wiping out star systems. That uh, would certainly give them massive amounts of energy. Um, but uh, eventually you'd think, and we've sort of been noting this in the evil plot questions ever since the war games, eventually the time Lords <laughs> might notice. Yeah, <laughs> and they might wonder if intervention is required at this point uh, yeah, because exactly. of the scale of it. And I think in this case they they would, like especially if you're destroying entire suns and <laughs> one after another in a quest to you get enough energy to permanently keep someone alive, and uh, so she can recreate herself. You know that that sounds like the kind of things time lords are one experts in and two don't really like other people doing. Yeah. I mean, as, as hard as you, you want to advocate against a sort of a, um, you know, placating a, an evil character like Zanzia, the, the time Lords could e 
easily get past this by just by getting giving her a set of regenerations, right? They they could <laughs> yeah, right. They could fix it. And it's it's interesting that Dog does, does throw in that line of like, oh no, take it from someone who, you know, knows about regeneration. This is not how you do it. Um but maybe maybe a deal an accommodation could be worked out where if she just sticks to her own planet of Xanax and then on a you know and agrees not to maybe she gets locked in another one of those slow time envelopes right uh, mm. one of those time loops or something but you could also see her you know just getting one regeneration Jesus get a new life hmm I can see some negotiations going on there depends yeah. how much of an upper hand she has. But yeah, uh, you don't want to yeah, exactly. too much. But on the other hand, uh, she's caused a few disappearing planets so far. It's interesting that it is noticed, by the way, in the Stolen Earth, uh, in that whole season arc, that planets are disappearing. Uh, yeah, but not here. <laughs> here, it's just like, eh, I guess planets. Pendragon <laughs> oh. is five. Who even went there? Yeah, yeah. Nobody's yeah. reporting it miss the Shadow it. Proclamation. Um, well, I like that the boring dead planets get simpler names in New Who, like Clum <laughs> instead of Calufrax. <laughs> yeah, Calufrax is a pretty unforgettable name. You'd think you'd notice mm. if that was missing. By the way, this is this is definitely more uh, proof that it's really Idris. It's really the TARDIS uh, who is uh, directing. Uh, you know, the Doctor towards these moments because, like, the, the the chances of him, the the chance of him arriving at just you know the exact moment that califrax gets sucked in mm. to Zanuck and so mind-bogglingly huge to use a douglas Adams line uh the odds <laughs> against that are so mind-bogglingly huge either you get an improbability drive involved or you say that the tardis was taking the doctor where where and exactly when he needed to go yeah, well, it's funny you say that. In the novelization, there is a hint of Idris. I think it was written after The Doctor's mm. Life premiered, so mm. uh, I'd have to check the date on it. But there is a bit where the TARDIS sets a setting, a key setting, to ensure the Doctor is safely... Uh, anyway, I shouldn't... I shouldn't. I already spoiled the thing, so... But, <laughs> but a, setting, a key yeah. setting is done by itself, shall we say. Love it. Love yep. that subtle suggestion. The Doctor's wife is still active and not just a uh, story on its own uh, in a pocket universe it actually mm -hmm. does change the whole canon so if this is more more evidence for that i'm all in favor anyway for the evil plot succeeding sad times for earth <laughs> the universe and the yeah. doctor unfortunately and the doctor who wouldn't get to regenerate and romana wouldn't get to regenerate yeah uh, or go through any of the five regenerations that she goes through in <laughs> the daleks <laughs> She really uh, likes to squander those. Okay. Yeah, really. Uh, there is someone else somewhere in this episode who we do not see on screen, but we need to find out where she is and what effect she has in the story. The next question, of course, is where is the Clara Splinter? Excellent question. Yeah, Clara Oswald, as everyone remembers, splintered in time at the end of the name of the Doctor throughout the Doctor's timeline. She is somewhere in the background in every Doctor Who story doing something. What is she doing in the pirate planet? I The only thing I come up with for this is that she is wandering among the people of Xanak uh, hmm. with a picture of the Doctor saying if you see this guy do not talk to him <laughs> do not engage he is crazy uh he he thinks that there are other worlds like he's a total heretic 
Like, you know, maybe she's just let the guards deal. Yeah. Just let the guards deal with them. Don't even, Mm. don't even stress. Maybe she's the one who's putting licorice, all sorts in the pockets of the doctor as well, instead of jelly babies, just because, Oh, she gets a bag of licorice, all sorts by (laughs) mistake and swaps it with the doctor's jelly babies. (laughs) <laughs> while she's about, you know, uh, panning him to the people of, uh, of Zanak. See, I figured she was on Zanak as well. She's one of the people, but she's a Mentiad. Mm. So as a Mentiad, um, she is advocating for them to basically lie low. Like mm. she's like, no, 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 guys. I know we have these amazing mental powers and we can kind of do whatever we want, but we really shouldn't do anything until we know for sure what we're doing and what we're about. So we're going to lie low. We're going to wait, uh, and meditate <laughs> and, and have, you know, meetings and endless, uh, discussion about what our purpose <laughs> is, but we're not actually going to do anything. Yes. She gets them, in, you know, in a political dispute within themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just so that they're not really interfering in any great way. Maybe yeah, she's, she's also. She's so also she's big doing... into caves. She loves caves. So let's like, <laughs> she, let's hang out in a cave. She loves caves. Uh, she's, she's doing a marksmanship academy for the guards. Uh, <laughs> so they don't hit the Dr. Romana at any point. Uh, yeah. Always shoot two feet to the left of the target. That's what I want you to remember from my academy. Um, So, yeah, she's got a lot of little things to do uh, on on Zedek. I think she can run around a lot and, you know, give us the the curious story that we see on screen. (laughs) Okay. Filled in. Nicely work. Nice work, Clara. Uh, filling in those plot holes. Um, All right. Moving on to the final question. The ultimate question. The only question that matters for the pirate planet. What is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? (laughs) No. Sorry. That's a different ultimate question. No. It actually happens to be, what did we think of this story? The pull-to-open rating system, of course, is five ratings. They are the Dalek, which we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we give to a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which we give to a not-so-great episode, but you know what? At least they tried something. At least we learned something. The Viscount Banger, reserved for the best of the best. And the rarely used Fixed Point in Time, which is an episode that is unrateable. We usually uh, use give this for reasons of nostalgia, but sometimes for other reasons. Uh, as we did a couple of a couple of stories ago with Marco Polo. Um, so, so what do we got mean, here? Uh, you mean I can't give the answer to the ultimate question as forty two? Uh, <laughs> I can't rate this a forty two. You should. Uh, yeah. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first as a pirate? I, I really struggled on this one, so yeah. you go first because I think that you are you have much more clarity. And I'm, I'm kind you know, of on a knife edge. I do and I don't. Um, I, I came to a definitive conclusion, but it's hard. It was hard for me on this one because I wavered. Mm. I've wavered actually between three ratings. Oh. So I thought perhaps, is is this as good as its reputation? Is it And is it as good as my memory? Mm. And I, I was convinced. In other words, I went into this thinking this is a definite Viscount banger. And I actually came out mm. doubting that. Hmm. Um, thinking, well, wait a minute, those problems with the ending in particular really stuck out to me this time. 
And the ending is such a crucial part of any story. And, you know, you look at the war games, how I think it really deftly handles its ending. Like it really pulls off, uh, you know, even despite the wandering through the Time Lord sauna, it's all it's all done really well. All the beats work, all the storylines work uh, and come to a, a great climax. So here they do the like, I think it still works because the climax is the two things trying to materialize and then they uh, the TARDIS wins that that fight through the Mentiads. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's still more to do and they don't really do it. They, they kind of just fill in the blanks with the doctor with doctor's exposition. So mm-hmm. I think it's a missed opportunity, but it doesn't ruin what I would give the rating for. Um, mm-hmm. All that said, all this uh, hand wringing also had me for a moment thinking, is this a fixed point in time? Can, can I, mm-hmm. can I judge this? Like I almost came out and did it. And it was like, I, I, again, not in a, again, when we conceive the rating, I think it's more like, oh, this is probably bad, but I can't rate it bad. But I, I I actually thought about, is this the opposite? This is amazing, but I don't know if I can bring myself to rate it that way um, with all this complexity. So I'm almost convincing myself to do it here in the moment, but no, (laughs) I'm staying resolute that this is a Viscount banger and I'm going to, point to my kids as the influence. Now, yeah. I'll be honest, Grace didn't vi- rate it a Viscount Manger. She actually said, now my kids are now <laughs> giving the same ratings as, by the way, as the podcast. I think that's been Love pretty it. clear the last few times. She said it was a Dalek, and she said it because the captain really kind of annoyed her. Um, but I, she did say that she loved Romana in this. She also really liked that she was mm. super cool at the beginning when the guard sort of challenged her, and she just sort of takes it in stride, and is the person that leads him into the air car and all that stuff. She really loved that yes. stuff. Yeah. Um, but Jack was like, he wasn't very emotive throughout. Like I wasn't sure what he was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And then as the final credits rolled, he was just so confident. Oh, that's a Viscount banger. Like wow. he just really, and I, I was like, I was just sort of reminded again, how innovative this story is. And it mm-hmm. still comes across, you know, 40 plus years later. And, that's why this is a Viscount banger. Boom. I feel like we need a Viscount banger side of a uh, sound effect there. Uh, when, when we, when we award it, I mean, you know, the sound of, I don't know, the sound of an aristocrat DJing. Uh, what, what <laughs> um, yeah. Love it. Love it. I, well, I'm glad that you're doing it. I'm glad that you're giving it the banger because I was torn um, because I do think it, it's a banger in concept. But mm. I think it's a Dalek in execution. Got know, it. Which is, which is not, like, it's not a Professor Hager in execution, or no grand execution. Um, I think it's just that, you know, there, there are some problems, there are also some problems on the script level. He was just sort of trying to be too clever, was, you know, uh, reaching for the skies. And, you know, I get it. I, I like what he did. I like all the reasons for it. But I think it's just, just about fools on the Dalek side, uh, uh, given the actual execution. And yes, given the rushed nature of the ending. So I, I feel comfortable in that because I think that split decision kind of is where I'm at. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're doing a banger Dalek hybrid between us. I'm, I'm very happy with that outcome. Yeah. And I, I see it. I, 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 I almost said a three way. I like, <laughs> I like to be more like definitive and basically say like, okay, this is what it is. And I don't have as many of the splits. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm, I'm I'm sticking with it. Uh but yeah, we got we got three parts 
banger, one part Dalek, I think, between the two of us. And that sounds about right for yeah. this one. So, yeah. It's a, it's a captain banger. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, despite the sorry state of our TARDIS after all that <laughs> plot twisting, uh, we're going we're gonna to just go right back in, get it going. We're going to start right. our randomizer engines and... Find out where we're going next. That's right. And we're going to open the manual of the Pultovan Randomizer. It's actually a giant book on a <laughs> on a lectern. Um, and by the way, I do love that. I love that the Doctor rips a page out. I do love that they do reference it later in New Who, where the Doctor said that he threw the manual into the heart of a son because he disagreed with it. Uh, <laughs> so clearly he's not just settled with, uh, you know, ripping pages out of it one at a time. Um but yes, the manual for our randomizer is in two sections. Part mm. one, in which we explain the codex, which is our spreadsheet of all of the stories of Doctor Who in sequential order. Uh, Pete, you have that codex in front of you. Yep. You, uh, you know how to read it. You are, <laughs> okay. Mr. <laughs> if you would give me a reading, sir, on the number of stories that we have left. That would be 217. 217. Fantastic. And then that's what I do uh, with that. What I do with that number is I plug it into the executor played by random.org, which is not uh, fake randomness like a lot of your your basic uh, algorithmic-based randomness. No, this is true randomness based on atmospheric noise and also uh, whether or not the Earth has been compressed and whether we have any uh, a, a robot a parrot zooming around the atmosphere might also skew the number. So, <laughs> that said, <laughs> I've, I've completely forgotten the number, but I'm going to plug it into uh, random.org anyway. 218? <laughs> 217 sir. 17 oh my goodness i'm a week behind all right you see we're, we're both uh disagreeing with the manual here and and uh being annoyed by it and and throwing it into the heart of a star uh ripping pages out as we go okay so we have in random.org the executor has a minimum of one maximum of 217 and we'd like to give it challenges that uh, we do pete in, in full awareness that your challenge is going to be cursed by the curse of the black spot what would you like randomizer to do oh good question okay so this was obviously a lot of things but it was a very funny episode of doctor who as i said at the outset mm -hmm. it's a lot of comedy well balanced out by the scale and the seriousness of and the implications of that scale uh let's get something serious as mm -hmm. a palate cleanser what what is a serious doctor who episode randomizer show us show mm -hmm. us a good example of Doctor Who seriousness, getting serious with it. It is funny because the the most comedic episodes of uh, stories in, in Doctor Who history, like we've we've already visited a lot. Like you often think of the the gunfighters mm -hmm. uh, being something that was mentioned as being too attempting to be comedic. Pirate Planet often mentioned in that same breath. Um, and we're kind of running out. We're almost on a on a comedy bingo card or yeah but, you know except that all of new who is a bit comedy-ish right so uh well uh i yeah i'm gonna say let's let's triple yatsi this let's or it's not even really triple yatsi we'd have to go to either the curse of the black sport or the space pirates to continue our pirate bingo hmm 
but perhaps there are other uh, pirate connections. Perhaps you could say, perhaps you could be really loosey goosey about it and say, for example, Madame Kavorkian looks like a pirate because uh, she's got that thing that looks like an eye patch. Like there's, there's oh, that's true, subtle, yeah, subtle pirate references. So I'm going to say, oh, almighty randomizer, uh, oh, oh, deep thought. Um, please <laughs> take us to. You are you are so wise and mighty, and you wished us to go to another pirate story, and we stepped on your plan. Uh, take us, take us to whichever pirate or pirate-based or pirate-adjacent story uh, you would you would wish us to see, and we will definitely go there. More pirates, okay? Yar, a little on the nose, but <laughs> let's do it. A little little hacked off the nose and a little left <laughs> nose in the eye patch. Um, yes. All right. Give me the countdown. I'll find out where we're going next. Here we go. Happening in four, three, two, one. Jump, Mr. Phoebe Lee. Jump. Jump instantly. <laughs> it's 55, sir. 55. 55. Looking at the correct column. We are at the arc in space. Wow. Sticking okay. with Baker. Tom Baker, you betcha. Baker, you know what? It's funny because I was thinking about the scene at the end of uh, Hitchhiker's the TV show. They go, they arrive on the Golga French Arc. Okay. An arc in space. And <laughs> That's the, true, yeah. And Ford and Arthur are wandering around these, these um, you know, sarcophagi that look almost exactly like the ones in Arc in Space where the Doctor does his great, um, you know, his great... Uh, speech right mm. yes yeah yeah no this is a again another really well-known one notable mm-hmm. for many reasons we're really filling out that first season of tom baker really because we've done yeah. genesis of the daleks we've done revenge of the cybermen um and there's only i think robot this and the suntaran experiment i think yeah. those are the ones so good times we've, filling in. We've it. already visited this with with the Cybermen, with Revenge of the Cybermen, right? It's uh, we visited the yeah. same location, so yep. that's going to be very Nerva Beacon. Yeah. All right, join us, folks, when we return to that space station in the far future. But in the meantime, hey, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and hit that button in whatever podcast app you are in. Of course, the thing we would love is if you could perhaps leave a review in that podcast app as well, especially if it's the Apple Podcasts app on your iPhone or iPad, or uh, I think it works on Macs now, so do that too. Um, Go ahead and leave an emoji title, or rather a Doctor Who story title in the form of emoji. That helps too. Even if that's not necessarily a review, you can leave it as a review. That's fine. There's no law against that. Don't forget, on Spotify, you can rate and review the show with a star rating plus you can have your say on the pirate planet or any of the other episodes we've done go to the polling feature in your spotify app hey is the pirate planet a dalek a viscount banger a fixed point in time an ogron that'd be surprising if you thought ogron but hey you, you can think whatever you want go ahead and have your say yeah um follow us on the socials we're at pull to open on tiktok pull to open 63 on twitter instagram and facebook uh, youtube.com slash pull to open also a great place to follow the show and leave a comment lots of great discussion happening there plus you get to see us plus you get to see all of our video shorts which are usually only on tiktok you can also see them on youtube come check them out we'll see you next time for 
the Ark in Space, y'all. Yeah, come on back with Harry and Sarah and Nova Beacon. We'll see you there.